When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's to the great American settlers, the millions of you who settled for unsatisfying jobs because they pay the bills. Of course, there is something else you could do if you got something to say. Start a podcast with Spreaker from iHeart and unleash your creative freedom. Maybe even earn enough money to one day tell your old boss, hey, I'm no settler. I'm an explorer. Spreaker.com. S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Hustle on over today. When the global supply chain is strained, one essential transportation network continues to keep the economy connected 24-7. That network is Freight Rail. We're increasing hiring and capacity, all while investing more than $20 billion per year into our network to improve reliability every day. We never stop working to better serve our customers because freight rail works. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost podcast. This is our Harry Potter episode. We're ready to do this. We're dressed up for the Wizarding World. I'm obviously Harry. I'm looking Guess like... Guess who I am. <laughs> the most attractive rendition of Hermione Granger we've ever seen. She's never looked so beautiful. Especially the character, with the, the scruff. The scruff looks looks great. Hermione Granger over here. For anyone, for anyone who's just listening to this episode, I have a full Hermione wig, cardigan, <laughs> tie, <laughs> and, a, and a, a girl's youth large sweater on. Yeah, so it, it's very tight, <laughs> to say the least. Dude, you look ridiculous. So if you want to see this crazy outfit, check it out on YouTube. I, I highly recommend watching it on YouTube right now because his <laughs> outfit is ridiculous. I look cool. I look like Harry in Prisoner of Azkaban. You actually do. You I have do the, it. You have the perfect hair for yeah, it. Yeah, and I have the rolled up sleeves and the, yeah. and the ruffled shirt and the messy hair. But I got. I grew out the perfect Hermione hair. It took me two years. <laughs> <laughs> I even got a wand over here, but hey, we're ready. To, we're ready to go because I mean, we freaking love Harry Potter. We grew up with it. It was yeah. a, it was a big part of popular culture when we were kids in America. So we're very excited to do this episode. Yeah. But before we get into it, be sure to check out any recent episodes you've missed. We just did a two parter on Quentin Tarantino. Subscribe on YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button right now. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. New episodes every Monday and Thursday, plus a few bonus episodes here and there. Leave us a five-star review. It really helps us get seen by other people. Do it, guys. Come on. hit the, Leave us a five-star review. Do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm always, like, screaming at people to do that. Threaten them with the wand. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if I'm nicer, people will do it. But instead of You're me saying, instead of, I'm just like, fucking leave the review, mother... Mother effer, trying to you make it seem like it's not an option for them. Try and tone down the f bombs. Let's yeah. all right. Let's go for this episode. We're gonna do the entire Harry Potter film series, not the books, just the movies, and we're gonna do all eight movies. Yeah, let's get that out of the way. We're not gonna be talking about what they should have put in the movies from the books. We're yeah. not gonna be talking about the books too much. We're talking about the films, uh, the filmmaking process, um, every aspect of the production, yeah. as well as the storylines and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But we're not gonna be going over the books and yeah. analyzing the books because it's too dense. That would take forever. And you could do thirty podcasts on what they you left could do an out. entire podcast just doing yeah. that. We're not gonna talk about things they left out or things they sh- things they sh- did differently. But um, Harry Potter is probably my most beloved book series and probably film series I've ever seen or been or ever uh, consumed in my life. Yeah, it's just 
I, every time I read the books, I, it's still great. Um, it's probably my favorite thing to read. And the movies are always a fantastic watch. Bro, I've read these books through like seven times, and I've listened to the audiobooks like four times. I'm ridiculous. It's absurd. I don't, I, I'm not even afraid to admit it anymore because I've done it so many times. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You like what you like. I I've, read, love I've it. read them all the way through four times, but not seven times. This may be my like desert island movie franchise. It's, it, my, it's definitely, I mean, if you get to pick eight movies, or no, just a franchise just a in franchise? general. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, that's. Good choice, man. Because, I mean, like, yeah, it has eight movies, but, like, the storyline, the characters, yeah. I just love them so much. And they cover so many different things mm-hmm. about stories. Yeah. And, I mean, there are other great franchises, but, I mean, come on. Harry Potter is the best. And I feel like Harry Potter took over the world by storm the same way Marvel did over the past ten years. There was this ten-year uh, period when Harry Potter just dominated popular culture, dominated the movies. Everyone lined up to see these movies, just like how they lined up to buy the books. Well, they've grossed over $8 billion total, yeah. including the Fantastic Beasts movie. This, movie. It became Warner Brothers' crown jewel over yeah. the last two decades. Absolutely. Yeah. Besides anything that Chris Nolan does, yeah. but like Harry Potter, you're going to make a billion dollars off it easily. Just the movie, yeah. let it, alone having a cinema, I mean, a, a Wizarding World Park. Yeah. It was perfectly made for kids. Um, I remember, I think we were 11 when the first one came out. We were prime age for it, and... Yeah. It was just an unbelievable movie-going experience the first time, and it felt so incredible to see like this fantastical movie with the stars are kids our age. Yeah, because we had already been reading the books. Yeah, I think we had read the first the two first books. Two, yeah, and, um, we were we weren't like massive Potterheads at the time. We liked the books a lot, but yeah. like to actually see it on screen yeah. and see these characters come to life. Yeah, and when you're we're the, we're the same age as the actors, the th- the trio. Yeah, so like we kind of like grew up with them and like related to every part of their lives that was going on in the movies and the books really well. I think. And then growing up and going back to the theaters every year or two years to see the next one, it just it felt like going back to like kind of like visit family or like going back to a familiar place it just felt very welcoming and nostalgic every time a new one came out because yeah. you're back with these characters that you love and you're looking forward to seeing what that what happens the next time dude it's nothing short of magical how quickly they turn these out because they, oh my god they had these kids they're like yeah. they're gonna grow old you gotta get these out real fast like every year every other year and a half they turned them out so quickly that they just had to keep changing directors for um two three for three four and five because mm-hmm. they couldn't a director couldn't stay on for the for two movies. It's a lot of workload doing the pre-production. So like while they're making Azkaban, they're doing pre-production for Goblet. Yeah, exactly. Fire. So while they were shooting that, um, Newell was doing uh, pre-production on Goblet for sure. Yeah, I mean, and just like I'm sure it's an incredibly overbearing and exhaustive process just making one of these movies for a director and producers yeah. and everything because you're you're creating this enormous world this enormous landscape yeah and not even you don't have to not even including sets and wardrobe but like the actors and the characters and the casting and you have this dense material that you have to make a script out of for just 90 minutes for like two hours two and a half hours it's jam-packed unlike most movies there's so many characters so many piece set pieces so so many pieces of wardrobe i mean it's unbelievable that they were able to turn these movies out and on top of making all these movies in such a short period of time they're all good. They are. They there's, all really are. There's good. no bad Harry Potter movie. Even even my least favorite, even your least favorite Harry Potter movie, whatever it is, it's yeah. still a really good it's movie. Still awesome. Yeah, still great. Yeah. But um, let's get into this. I want to start with the strengths of the Harry Potter films. Cool. Man. Again, we're not talking about like the books or anything. We're talking strictly the movies. And so I think the obviously the first major strength of all the franchises and all the movies is the dense source material, though. Yeah. You know, J.K. Rowling created these amazing characters she created this world and turned into seven incredible books and it's so dense with 
tiny details like languages, wardrobe, and just like every kind of little thing. These story arcs that all connect and everything. All the sets. And it's yeah. it's in, it's incredible. She even has uh, pieces of history that she wrote into it that mm. are irrelevant to the the actual story, but like it's cool to have like she's she developed the world so so much that she has like historical books that she's written for it yeah and the the movies do a great job portraying accuracy to the source material obviously again there are differences that we're not really going to go over at all yeah but she they did a pretty good job bringing the books to life and especially i think they knocked it out of the park um putting the sets together yeah every set felt amazing diagon alley was incredible to see the first time yeah even um even harry's house under the under the floor uh, under the staircase and like it's exactly how I pictured it. The productions are ama- the yeah. production elements are amazing. And then I and I think the the pinnacle of the first um the first one is when they're on the boats and they see Hogwarts for the first time and it it looks incredible and the music's playing and it's just it's riveting, you know what I mean? And it's it's so memorable that shot of the all the boats on the water with the lanterns. The production design and cinematography of these movies are like second to none. It's great. Yeah. You know that Hogwarts is actually a model. It's like a yeah, two scale model. Down, yeah. It's like 15 feet tall. Yeah. They actually used to show it off at a bunch of like some of their shows and in, in the sites and stuff when they display all the, the props and wardrobe and everything. But it's actually they built this little mini Hogwarts castle aside from all the enormous sets they built for all the movies. Yeah. But the, the set of Hogwarts is really freaking cool. Highly detailed. And I think mm. it's used in every single film. Yeah. And um, that's why it looks so good because it's practical. It's not CGI. It's sometimes act, it's CGI. Sometimes, but that first shot—that's yeah. practical. Yeah, that's real. And then the, for the the entire production of the films, they rented out Pinewood Studios in UK in the UK, which is the biggest studio, um, because they needed as much space as possible. Mm-hmm. And they actually shared it with uh, James Bond. That's pretty cool. James Bond rents that studio for their productions as well. Yeah, and I mean, building the Great Hall—that's one of the most iconic sets in it's all incredible. the movies. And it's just like they actually built that place. Yeah, it's huge. And like, it, even like the candles were actually real. They're hanging from the ceiling. Well, they were real until they started setting fires, oh, yeah. and so they had to—they were gonna just uh, digitally take the wires out. So they were uh, real candles hanging by wires. Yeah. And then the wires are getting caught on fire, so they're like, "We just gotta do this digitally." I mean, that seemed like a seems like a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> if they just hang a wire with a flame right there. <laughs> There's a lot of things that you have to think about, you yeah. know. The attention to detail they put into this movie was incredible. And even just like little knickknacks that are just on the screen in the background, um, they put a lot of care into crafting those to make sure they were as precise and accurate as possible too. Yeah, I mean, production designer uh, Stuart Craig, um, he did just an amazing job being able to fill in the sets and just like every square centimeter, square inch of every yeah. shot of every frame is detailed to the T yeah. with Wizarding World paraphernalia or just like decor. And they did such an amazing job being yeah. able to create this environment in this world. Every single shot. All right, next thing I want to talk about for strengths of all Harry Potter movies is the casting. Yeah. These films are full of some of the best British, Welsh, English, Scottish, Irish actors who've ever worked in film and theater mm-hmm. in the last 40 years. I mean, Richard Harris, Michael Gammon, Maggie Smith, Alan Rickman, Ray Fiennes, Gary Oldman, Emma Thompson, Helena Bonham Carter, Kenneth Branagh. The list is absurd. This is, this is like a badge of honor for high-class actors in the yeah. UK to be in a Harry Potter movie. You get your wand, you, yeah. go, you go to set, and you're, you're a part of something really magical. Mm-hmm. In terms of the cast, I think that overall, the main glue of the entire franchise and the heart of the franchise are the tr- main trio. Oh, of course, yeah. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione. The movies work because of them, and um, they're the connective tissue for the stories. Yeah, Harry's the hero. He's the main character. But of course, Ron and Hermione 
are part of like an ensemble with with him. Yeah. And yeah, the story follows him mostly. He has so many scenes on his own, but there there's much part of the story as he is. Yeah, and it's amazing because think about the fact that you're you're casting a, a bunch of a, a few a ten year olds or eleven year olds to play these roles that you hope work out. And a lot of money's on the line, and also the entire franchise is on the line. And it's on the shoulders of a few kids. And you hope they stay, you know, away from bad habits yeah. and <laughs> drugs and, like, don't yeah. make bad decisions in their, in the, in their life. And you Absolutely. hope that Daniel Radcliffe doesn't go bald at 17. <laughs> <laughs> Which he does, and he's got great hair. It happened to Ron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's, it's a lot to put all this money and this enormous investment on the shoulders of three little kids. Yeah, but they, I think they cast it perfectly. Yeah, they found really great mature kids. And the audition process was apparently very extensive. And um, it was just on a whim that they cast Dan Radcliffe as Harry. Mm-hmm. Um, his parents didn't want him to do it, but they knew David Heyman, the producer of the films. And um, they all they all ran into each other at an, at a show. I think it was an opera. And um, they said hi and stuff. And then Radcliffe and his parents went uh, a few rows above David Heyman, ahead of him. And then uh, Radcliffe remembers he when he was at the show and he would look back and there was this guy just staring at him with like this quizzical look on his face because Haven was like this is Harry Potter like he could get he, from from meeting uh, Daniel Radcliffe as a kid and just the way he looked he felt like he was perfect for Harry and then they auditioned him after that yeah I mean absolutely perfect for the role obviously like people in, talk about the books and like he doesn't have green eyes he's not, he's not tall. that tall but you know what it's not about the eyes and the physical characteristics really it's about yeah. the character and yeah. the acting and the person who's playing it it's like Tom Cruise with Jack Reacher yeah. looks nothing like Jack Reacher in the books Jack Reacher in the books is like 6 foot 6 blonde and enormously jacked and also you can't predict how tall a kid's gonna be when they're 10 years old yeah it's you, stupid to complain about that ironically he's a pretty short guy but yeah. you know it doesn't put, put him on some stilts or something put yeah. a bo- an apple box he get, <laughs> gets, 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 does a good job yeah he was he was, he, he was a perfect perfect harry and i think it, the film franchise has worked because he's so good as it yeah. as harry all right next up musical scores mm-hmm. and john williams geniusly came up with the most perfect and one of the most iconic themes in film history for harry potter yeah and you know the, the accuracy of what he created in terms of the music really depicts the magic of the story the magic of the world mm-hmm. in, a, in a musical form to create to bring everything together is a lot with everything you're seeing on screen to bring in the magical music he creates. It just is an amazing, like, sensory experience every yeah. time you watch it. His main theme, Hedwig's theme, um, is I think it's one of the most iconic themes in the last 50 years. Um, and I remember the trailers for Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone coming out and hearing that. Dun, 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 dun. And it was just something about it. It just grabbed you and it felt, it felt like it was just meant to be for this movie these themes and John Williams put this movie on his, on the wings of his music. And it just flew after that. Well, it's a beautiful metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) Can you say that again? John Williams took this music, put it on the wings of his shoulders and it flew away. Wow. (laughs) Fucking Robert Frost over here. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. J dubs is the goat man. J dubs. And, um, we'll talk more about the music throughout the movies. And it's just a damn shame that he couldn't do any more of them after Azkaban. Because they had to keep making Star Wars movies. Goddamn Star Wars. You know what? Hut take, Harry Potter, way better than Star Wars. I agree with you. All around. I agree. I don't care what these Star Wars hardos think or say. <laughs> Harry Potter is way better. The stories are better. The characters are better. It's more, There's more humanity it's involved. It's consistently good. It's just every movie's good. They're all good. There are a lot of bad Star Wars there, movies. There are some bad Star Wars movies. Even, those, even the old ones, there's some bad ones. There are movies that ruin people's childhoods. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what Harry Potter? Amazing. Every single one of them. Mm. <laughs> Couldn't agree more. All right. Um, and the final thing that they have is magic. <laughs> They're magical, man. Aw. Who can't love that? But it was, I mean, it's a genius idea. It's, it's, so, it's such a genius idea genius. to think that there's a whole community of magic people living when and regular people are unawares of them. And yeah. there's, you, of course, you like go to school to train and you're educated and there are jobs. It's not like what we've always ever seen magic of just like a sorcerer or a witch. Yeah, I mean, that's all we ever saw of magic. Imagine someone who'd never seen, read the source material, read the books, and they go into the movie and they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen witches before. I've seen yeah. those Halloween movies and yeah. stuff. And then they watch this. It's like, holy crap. It's like, it's like a real society. Yeah, exactly. And it feels if that's it, that's the thing. It's a society, and it feels like a community, and you feel like it could it could be real. And I remember as a kid, I wanted so badly for Hogwarts to be real, bro. Every year, I I, so when I didn't badly. get my goddamn letter to Hogwarts when I was twelve, I was like, "Fuck this shit! The world sucks. I don't want to be here. I want to go to Hogwarts. Why can't I get my letter?" <laughs> <laughs> Literally me as a as a twelve year old. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's get into the movies. We're gonna start with the original. The Sor- original Sorcerer's Stone came out in two thousand one. Do they call it Philosopher's Stone? They call in it Philosopher's Stone. So yeah. Philosopher's yeah. Stone in Great Britain and England over there. Um, this was the world builder. Yeah. And Chris Columbus, uh, who's known for writing Gremlins, he also directed movies like Home Alone, um, Mrs. Delphire, Best mm. Bicentennial Man. I think he wrote Goonies too. Um, maybe he was a great choice to kind of create this world because mm. he has experience with you know family friendly material, but also like uh, intense themes and ideas. And I think Chris Columbus did a wonderful job crafting the introduction to J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World onto screen. You know something that I'm sure a lot of filmmakers you know they might in their head be like, oh, I would love to do that, but like imagine the daunting task of having. This massive investment, this massive story. You've never seen anything like it on film. He's coming off Bicentennial, man. And then having the confidence to be able to create this magnificent world. And that sounds like a really, really tough job to bring this magic to life. But I think he killed it. Columbus did a perfect job. And I think it's because of his uh, his use of old school filmmaking techniques, which really sealed the deal to make the world feel tangible and real and believable. And um, he has a great knack for... for making films and stories for young audiences um, to make them connect to the characters. Um, yeah, it's a tough job, yeah. like adapting a children's novel into a massive movie. Yeah, and especially because these books took over the world by storm. So there was a lot of uh, anticipation and um, a lot of buildup for these films um, and high expectations. And um, he knocked it out of the park. And I, I can't imagine Sorcerer's Stone being any better than it already is. I think it's a perfect movie. Yeah, and it's also a safe adaptation. Yeah. You know, he didn't take a ton of risks with it, and he has this, like, sort of medieval old film style to it, which works, and it kind of introduces you to this world of, like, wizards and wizards and, like, in the secret society and everything. It's almost, like, cultish sometimes Mm -hmm. in the wardrobe and everything like that. And, um... Again, the first time you see Hogwarts in their boats, it just blows your mind. And then, as as the first time you see them in classrooms and in their in their outfits, it's like it kind of reminds you of school if you were a kid or if you're like we went to Catholic school in high school. It looks yeah. like ha- Catholic high school. Yeah, like they have the uniforms and and they're shopping for school supplies at Diagon Alley. I think one of the best scenes of the movie and one of the best scenes in uh, the franchise is when Harry gets his wand mm-hmm. from Ollivander, and uh, we're still we're still seeing everything through his eyes. He's the surrogate for the audience. 
So everything's brand new to us, and we're so curious what everything's going to be. And then when he walks into Ollivander's and uh, John Hurt gets him that right wand, and then the lights dim and the wind blows, and the and William John Williams' music plays, and it's just it's unbelievable and it's so magical and it's such a great moment and it really brings you into the movie. Is it acceptable to go to Mickey D's just for a drink? <laughs> of course it is. But good luck leaving with just a drink. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. And right now, a small Minute made slushy is just $1.59. So all you have to do is choose a flavor, like the tropical mango or strawberry watermelon, and enjoy like it's meant to be enjoyed. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. The, the best part about that moment, too, is that it's practical effects. Yeah. It's very simple practical effects. It's a freaking fan, yeah. some, a change in lighting, some mist and some smoke. And like a, they played with their frame rates and had like a faster frame rate to make everything behind them look like it was moving oh, like, faster. So, yeah. <clears throat> That's like one of the the key things that I think Chris Columbus did throughout this whole movie to make it seem like real magic is yeah. the practical effects. Yeah. You know, the really the first digital shot, big digital shot in the movie is uh, when they're going to Diagon Alley mm-hmm. and uh, Hagrid does the, the taps the on the brick wall. Yeah. The brick wall is like the first big digital effects shot in the yeah. entire movie. You're right. And um, a lot of this movie, they, they did... A, they, opted for a lot of practical effects, obviously with some digital effects, but I think that really enhanced the experience for audience members to really make it seem like there's real magic. Yeah. And you're emotionally invested in Harry right from the get-go because you see his life and it's miserable and he doesn't, ha- he doesn't have any love in his life. Um, and he's alone and he's with his family, but he, they don't act like his family. So you really feel for him and you want things to go well for him. And so when you go along on this journey with him, you're you're there for the you're there for the ride the whole time, and you can't wait what, to see what happens next. You know what I mean? It's kind of like when you go to summer camp. You know, yeah. you don't know what kind of friends you're gonna make, yeah. and you're kind of nervous to go. But yeah. except it's like wizards. you want him to do well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you love him so much. Yeah, you love the characters so much, and Harry's amazing. And then you finally meet Ron and Hermione, and yeah. they're perfectly cast with Emma Watson and Rupert Grint in yeah. these roles. Yeah, and that the meeting on the train. It's a great, like, the first meeting of them three is just fantastic. Yeah, I, I, lo- love, I it. love it. And yeah. it's, like, their first big moment together and everything. And then, like, when you re- meet Hagrid, Hagrid's huge in the first movie. He's yeah. in a lot of the early scenes. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, he introduces Harry to the world and explains everything to him and about his parents and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, Robbie Coltrane plays Hagrid. Mm-hmm. And obviously Hagrid in the books is, like, 12 feet tall. But in the movies, he's about 8 foot 6. Mm-hmm. But uh, Robbie Coltrane's only six one, so in order to capture this half giant on camera with normal sized people, they had to use a combination of practical and digital effects with him. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the close ups, mediums, and stuff when you see Hagrid's real face and everything, it's Robbie Coltrane yeah, yeah. Um, actually acting, obviously. And then there, there's different things they could do with uh, camera tricks and wide Just lenses, like the Lord of the Rings, and to try to make him seem like he's either bigger in a situation with yeah. smaller characters. And they also had a stunt double 
for wide shots or like shots where his face isn't included with this guy who's six foot ten, mm-hmm. and he would put on this massive Hagrid suit. So this enormous human <laughs> being would put on this enormous Hagrid suit, even like a full body suit with fake hands, a fake head, probably face. probably big boots too. Yeah, everything yeah. to make him look like he's eight foot six, and this guy would just walk around, lumber around for all those <laughs> wide shots. So that's actually not Ruby's. It's not actually Robbie Coltrane, obviously. But they also used a lot of digital effects where they would film a lot of his scenes throughout the series, um, green screen and, and blue screen, mm-hmm. and then they would digitally impose him onto different sets and different shots with other human beings. Mm-hmm. So they had to do a lot of cool, fun effects for it, but they did a great job making it seem like Robbie Coltrane was actually Hagrid, who's this half-giant. Yeah, and he was the uh, he was J.K. Rowling's first choice, actually, and only choice for the role. That's cool. He's yeah, perfect. That's, who, that's exactly who she wanted for it. <laughs> but again, master craftsmanship of this movie, the sets, the props, the yeah. wardrobe... Um, the storyline's really great in this movie, even if you've never read the books. And then when we meet Dumbledore, it's like, when we see Dumbledore for the first time, it's like, oh, that's a wizard. Yeah. Like, that's how we imagine a wizard growing up. This tall, old guy with a huge white beard and, and a crazy hat and robes. Like, this is the first time you're like, oh, this is a, this is what I think of as a wizard. Yeah. And Richard Harris did an amazing job as, as uh, Dumbledore, just yeah. bringing this warmth and wisdom to the character that you obviously felt in the books. Mm-hmm. Obviously, unfortunately, he didn't make it in life past uh, Chamber of Secrets, mm-hmm. and so he obviously eventually got replaced by Michael Gammon. But obviously, it's a it's a tragedy, and it's a tough thing to do deal with when you're dealing with older actors, and you know yeah. these things happen. But he he won't ever be forgotten, and it's one of my favorite Richard Harris roles of all time. He was perfect as he was perfect as Dumbledore, and yeah. Michael Gambon brought a new a new take to the character, made him a little more youthful, and it gave him like a hint of an Irish accent. Um, and obviously, I think it worked out best having Michael Gambon being able to do the more physical. Um, action scenes in the, in the later films of the franchise. Yeah. But I think Richard Harris was perfect as Dumbledore. Yeah, because, I mean, in the books, the wizards are, like, 200 years old. They, yeah. they age so long, but, like, they're also... Dumbledore's always described as being, like, youthful at heart yeah. and, like, agile for an Pretty old man. Pretty energetic, yeah. And so, like, Gammon was a great choice to replace the, the legendary Richard Harris. Rest in peace. Big, big shoes to fill, but he did a great job. One of my pet peeves, though, throughout, like, all the Harry Potter movies, when you first see... In uh, the Sorcerer's Stone is like these massive dinners and feasts. Yeah. Like every time they go out to, to dinner at the Great Hall, there's just a smorgasbord of like the most calorie dense foods you ever <laughs> seen in your life. How Roast is turkeys. obesity and <laughs> Does, <laughs> diabetes not a problem yeah. at, at Hogwarts? There's desserts everywhere, dude. dude kids are going crazy. I on would that get food. so fat <laughs> if I went to Hogwarts. I was a fat kid, and all I was doing, eating was Dunkaroos. <laughs> Imagine if there's an ice cream sundae in front of your face every night, followed by turkey and giblets at how, before. How was Ron especially not obese? He's just one of those kids. <laughs> it all went to his dumb face. <laughs> and then, um, it's it's great when um one of my favorite parts of the movie is uh, Quidditch. That first Quidditch match, and you see you, the kids are flying on these broomsticks, but it's a sport, and it's like high octane, and it's so much fun. Um, obviously, you've never seen anything like it. And then the way Harry catches the snitch is pretty hysterical, but it's, it was amazing. Like I became obsessed with Quidditch. Yeah, Quidditch was the the bomb, dude. Yeah, it was so dope. It's one of the best. It's always been one of the best parts of Harry Potter. Yeah, and the, the digital effects were good in this movie. They still hold up. Obviously, yeah. they're a little old. Yeah, uh, they're a little dated. But like the bricks again look fine. The the three headed dog, um, what's it, Snowflake or Fluffy? Fluffy, Fluffy, something like that. Yeah. He looks. It still looks pretty good. Um, obviously, you can tell it's it's again it's dated CGI. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
but I think they do a good job. And then throughout the story, the story's just amazing. We all we all know. We've all seen it a million times. And then mm-hmm. the final act of of the three of them going through all the uh, tests, the trials, yeah, to uh, to save the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, and it's just amazing. And then a lot of practical effects were using that too, especially the Devil's Snare was actually just a bunch of puppeteers with te- like doing these tentacles <laughs> and they would actually film it and then do it in reverse ah. so that it would look like they were pulling on them rather than pushing them. Ah. So they, d- they had to do these like fun camera tricks and editing tricks to make the devil's snare look actually real because a CGI shot back then, especially was like it incredibly expensive, especially with a character interacting with the yeah. CGI character. And like they, they, like they only reserved it for specific things that they absolutely couldn't do. Like yeah. you can't really do the brick thing. Yeah. You can't do the three headed dog. Yeah. So you got to do it. But when you, when you can do a devil's snare and stuff like that, you got to pull it off. Yeah. Even it, the chess pieces were real. Yeah. Those chess pieces, that chess scene was fantastic. It was so good. It's like the only scene that Ron Ron. has that he's heroic, besides like later on in Deathly Hallows. It's the only time he does anything until Deathly Hallows. After this, he's just... He does anything at all. He's just a mess after this. (laughs) JK just took this character as like, fuck this guy. He's just going to be comic relief the whole time. (laughs) Make funny faces. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's actually a great scene for him, and he like earns his wings as like a wizard in part of this trio. Yeah, yeah. And and the, the, the chess pieces were real. And um, they were like operated with wheels, and like they drove them around and stuff. I remember we got the uh, wizard's chest for Christmas, and we were like freaking out about it. Oh, it was awesome! <laughs> but I, I love how like the when Ron sacrifices himself and his piece gets like stabbed, yeah. like the sword like doesn't even touch him, and like he falls down like he's dead. <laughs> it's like, dude, get up! That couldn't explodes. hurt that bad. Yeah. Like you've never fallen down before. <laughs> it wasn't it was like three feet? Jesus! <laughs> and then no- the final scene with with uh, Quirrell was great. Um. When we first see Voldemort for the first time. because yeah, you don't really know what Voldemort's ever going to look like. Yeah. Because even when the first movie came out, the other books weren't out yet. You know what I mean? It was like 2001, and she didn't Just finish. the first two were out. Yeah, the first two were out. So, like, you never knew really who Voldemort still was and, like, what he was going to be like. Yeah. And then he's just, like, this misty, ghosty kind of thing like on, this, on this guy's head. <laughs> yeah, that she teased the hell out of him. Yeah, maybe Marvel just stole J.K. Rowling's ideas or, like, uh, timelines and story arcs. <laughs> but um, you know, we all know we saw it, and Harry saves the day, and the, for the first time, touches Quirrell's face, and he turns to stone because mm-hmm. of his mother's love, mm-hmm. magic that Voldemort never understood <laughs> and never will understand. <laughs> his biggest weakness Getting is into the mean themes he already. Can, he can never love. It's all about love. <laughs> oh yes, love, love Dumbledore. <laughs> but um, the first movie is one of my favorites in the whole franchise, and every time I watch it, it brings me back. It's very nostalgic. It's so well made that I know I'll be able to watch it over and over again for the rest of my life and still love it. And um, it's just a great introduction to this world. Love it, yeah. Just quick, really fun facts is uh, there were entire animal production teams for this movie. So, like, they had four different owls play Harry's owl. More than a dozen rats played scabbers. Uh, Hermione's pet, Crushanks, was played by four different cats. And nine Neapolitan Mastiff Mastiffs played Hagrid's dog Fang. Nine, yeah, <laughs> and also Harry's Gryffindor dorm room. Um, the props change inside the dorm room, but they don't change the beds. So, like when you watch the later ones, like in like Half Blood Prince specifically, the beds are still small and they like kind of have to like curl up in them. Oh, they just probably never built new sets because I don't think they had enough space. They're like, yeah. screw, we'll just have, we, we're hardly shooting here anyways. Yeah. They just put new stuff on Save the walls. Money too, yeah. So it's kind of a fun little fun fact, mm. but um. Let's get rolling on to Chamber of Secrets. Let's do it. What a sequel. Great job. Uh, the second in the planned series of this amazing Potter franchise. 
brimming with invention and ideas. <laughs> did you say brimming with invention? I did say brimming with invention. This, they got a little darker with this one, um, and they had real life or death stakes throughout the entire film. Yeah. Um, and also, I think this is the funniest one. I think it's up there. It's pretty yeah, funny. It's Ron, really, I mean, Ron's very funny yeah. in this movie. They, I feel like they, they found the strengths of each of the leads and like catered to those strengths. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, also, you, you can tell when you watch this movie that it's going to be one of the most important film franchises ever. Hmm. And it's it's in its adolescence, like its characters, and it's developing. And yeah. it's just going to get better and better. And you you immediately know that watching this movie from yeah. the beginning. And it's a lot of fun. I mean, it opens with the, uh, the flying car. Yeah, which is escaping. Yeah, it's great. And then there's just the great moments where they're flying in London, and and Harry's like, "Ron, you know muggles aren't used to seeing a flying car." <laughs> and then they uh, they're looking for the train, and it ends up coming up right behind them. Um, but it's it's an it's a great intro for this movie. It's a lot of fun. And then they uh, crash into the Whomping Willow. Yeah, the kids' acting gets a lot better in this one. It's no- much the, better. The, the acting is noticeably not great in the first one because they're they're probably nervous like crazy. In the first one, it, the acting was so bad for the kids that they had to roll with three cameras on each take. Because in order to capture anything, they had to just get as much coverage as possible. Yeah, none of them have really ever been in a movie before. Yeah, I think they were acting in like plays and stuff like yeah, that. Like but like to be stuff. on the main character on these massive movies, yeah, very daunting tasks for these kids. Mm. And yeah, so when you watch the first one, you're like, oh my god, Radcliffe, <laughs> that's terrible. But like second one, they're a lot better. They're more seasoned, huh. and everything's more believable. Yeah, and uh, obviously they're noticeably taller because these kids are starting to get old now. <laughs> Harry's voice, Harry and Ron's are a little deeper voice yeah. now. But Ron is Ron's hysterical in this whole, entire movie. The faces he makes are, are are just fantastic, and they make they part make the movie in a lot of ways. Like just the way he looks at Harry when they're driving, or in the flying car, the flying car, and then like the trains behind them, <laughs> and they and crash then, in the whopping willow. He's like, What's that mean? What's that mean? <laughs> <laughs> he breaks his wand. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why he got that role was because he's able to make these these funny faces. Yeah, he's a funny, he's very kid. expressive, funny kid in this movie. Yeah, you, we also got introduced to a lot of new characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, Dobby, who's iconic in Harry Potter world, and he's a hero, but he's a menace in this movie. <laughs> and it's so cool to see um, like a digital character interacting with humans on camera which you would start to see but like they did a great job and the CGI looked great on it looked him. good yeah it was around the same time that Lord of the Rings was coming out with Gollum yeah so same kind of thing they're using the highest technology available at the time yeah and it, it, it was the first time I watched a movie with like a digital person digital character and a human I'm like what well, that actually looks real as hell and it's got one of the funniest shots in, in all of the movies is when um Dobie's floating the cake towards the couple yeah and then Harry's just walking behind it he's like trying to grab it but it look and it looks like he's using his magic to float the cake, and the nurses are just looking at him like, "Oh fuck!" So funny. But I love the scene before that in his room when he's bashing himself in the head with the with the yeah, uh, yeah. with the, the light yeah. and just the lighting on the CGI of his yeah, face looks, looks real. it's like phenomenal. They did yeah. a great job with that, and this is like 2002 or 2003, so mm. they did a, a fantastic job. And they really uh, they added more with Draco and the rivalry with him, um, especially when uh, they have that Quidditch match. Yeah, and you can really feel him as a, a, a antagonist that's growing into the story. Yeah, he's, he's becoming a more mature villain. Yeah. and then they have the duel. Yeah, but also, um, and we learn about about them when they do the Polyjuice Potion and they go into the uh, the Slytherin Commons. Yeah, this might be the most screen time that Draco gets. I, in I all think the movies. absolutely, except yeah, yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe a little bit in half plug because he has his own story going on. Yeah, but he he gets a lot of screen time in this, and 
And I like Draco better when he's a younger kid. I think he's more fun. Yeah. And when he's older, he's just kind of like a moody goth kid. Yeah. <laughs> he's an emo kid. But he's like, an, he's a great, bad, evil villain in the first couple. He's just like his father, who we also get introduced to, Did Lucius you know Malfoy. That, that um, Tom Felton, the uh, actor who plays Draco, was actually the original choice to play Harry before they got Radcliffe. Thank God he didn't get picked. Yeah. Because <laughs> it would have been a way different series. Yeah. I'm sure he would have done a good job. Yeah, but it wouldn't have felt the same. Yeah, but, he, you know. Yeah, he was, uh, very, he was very likely about to get the part. Yeah, he's way better as a villain. He's great as a villain, yeah. And um, and his dad's a great villain. And we're introduced to him here. Yeah. So Jason Jason Isaacs, yes, phenomenal as Lucius Malfoy. Yeah. Again, they just cast so well in this, in these movies. He plays that perfect like highbrow, like I'm better than you, like delicious aristocrat, charismatically evil character. You can tell he's just so evil. Yeah. He, he and he's like a he's just a sociopath. He thinks he's better than everyone. He. And he plays it so well. Yeah, he's awesome. You can tell he's he might be having the most fun in this movie yeah. out of all the all the Probably, actors. Yeah, it looks like he's having a great time. He's, it's, pretty, he's, it's pretty much the same character as in the Patriot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same thing. You're right. That's probably why he got cast in this. It's even the same accent and everything. <laughs> Pompous douchebag England. <laughs> but um, Lucius is great. Then we also get introduced to Gilderoy Lockhart, played yeah. by Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, which he's awesome as so, his character. He's so funny. He's perfect. He's perfectly perfect. cast, bringing this character to like to life, and you just can't help but like hate Gilderoy Lockhart so much. Uh, but like, you feel bad for him because he's such a loser in real life. <laughs> <laughs> like the true Gilderoy Lockhart, yeah, is a bum. But um, he's so good. Like when he's in the classroom before he, he lets the pixies goes, and he's like yeah. winner of uh, which weekly yeah. smile five times. <laughs> he's, he's like so self entitled. He's like smiling to a bunch of kids. Yeah. In, in like uh, first second year students and everything. Yeah, he's he's probably the the best piece of comedy in the in the movie. Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, he's great. One of my favorite parts of the movie is just the opening sequence where Harry gets rescued by the Weasley brothers mm-hmm. with a flying car, and then they go to the burrow and. You've seen the first movie, but you haven't seen like a magical home with like actual wizards where they live. Yeah. You know, you spend the whole movie at Hogwarts pretty much. And um and then when you finally get to see like a real wizarding home with a real wizarding family and you just notice all these amazing things, but it's also similar to us but different. Like it looks kind of the same, but you yeah. know, there's 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 brush cleaning a pan, yeah. there's these fun trinkets everywhere. The clock that tells us where each Dursley is. Yeah, if yeah. they're either like safe at yeah. school or in mortal at peril. Home. Yeah, mortal peril. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great. And um also a cool thing that they did for the movie was for this set is there are no right angles at the Weasley's Burrow wow. to make it look like the family's just completely disheveled. Mm-hmm. So that's why everything's like kind of looks out of like uneven <laughs> and at angles and stuff like that. It's all obtuse and acute angles. Yeah, and then Arrow crashes into the window, which is hilarious. <laughs> but something about about the Weasleys too is obviously you relate to them so well. We relate to them because yeah, we have like a huge we were family. Yeah, because we have five, we have four older brothers and we're the twins, so yeah. it's just like another huge family. We yeah. just need a sister. And I we're, felt very. I relate to them so much. We yeah. need a sister, and we're the, we're literally the Weasley boys yeah. and, and sister and um. And the parents are great, and, uh, and he asks Harry, "What is exactly is the purpose of a rubber duck? Like what, you, you could function of a rubber duck? You could ask him any question about Muggles, and he asks that. But that's just his character. It's great. But it's also so with Mister Weasley, every movie he has like some different wild wardrobe on. Like yeah. they're trying to figure out what to Who do with this is, fucking like, guy. Yeah. Like Molly's kind of the same in every movie. She's just got like a simple. She's like, like a hippie wizard. Yeah, but then like. Mr. Weasley in, in like the first four movies, completely different outfit every yeah. single time. And then by the fifth one, they're like, let's just have him shop at Macy's. He had a very normal muggle outfit for the last few, yeah. Then he got eclectic in the third one, but <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> and uh, what's great about the chamber is we really delve into who Voldemort is. And uh, 
we learn about Tom Riddle, and it's such a great reveal at the end of the film um, when Harry encounters Tom Riddle, and we're so curious about who this person is. We know he made the diary, but like, who is Tom Riddle? And then we learn that it's the acronym, I am Lord Voldemort. So it's the first time he's actually encountered Voldemort in the flesh, um, and it's 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 fantastic reveal. Yeah, because when he's going inside the the diary and, and seeing these flashbacks of Hagrid opening the Chamber of Secrets that yeah. it really happened and unleashing the monster, you think that Riddle's a good guy, and yeah. you think Riddle's on his side, yeah. and he thinks that, and so he trusts him until they get to the Chamber of Secrets and he realizes what's going on. And you show how how Voldemort is a master manipulator, yeah, and how he tricked Harry. And it's just amazing to picture that like J.K. thought of like this immense story with all these arcs and like the horcruxes start here yeah well we don't know we don't even know the diary is a horcrux until ep- se- six uh, one I season, season three six. season three of harry potter <laughs> horcruxes <laughs> have blood prince so it's amazing that she put all these all these uh nuggets throughout the early films which eventually led into the overall story arc of the yeah. film she, film franchise. Her imagination was Im- immense. Yeah. Not that like other stories and unknown stories don't have great like worlds and everything, but like yeah. this was so popular that we can't help but talk about yeah. it. And then there is the fight with the basilisk. The fight with the basilisk is is awesome because um, it's really terrifying. This creature. Well, it's practical effects again. Yeah. They actually built a twenty five foot tall basilisk. I watched. We watched Chamber a couple of weeks ago, and there are so many shots of the practical basilisk basilisk head. And it still looks good. Yeah, it looks great. It looks better than CGI, I think, yeah, in a lot I of think ways. So. Yeah, it's, it's like Jurassic Park with the real raptors. Yeah, I, yeah obviously it doesn't move exactly like a, a, a snake would, but it's, it looks real. The light's really hitting it there on set. There's really gl- like sweat dripping yeah, down its face exactly. and everything. And it's a terrifying creature. Yeah, and I love the, the combination of the digital and practical effects here. Yeah. You know, he's got a jaw, he's got nostrils, he's got these giant fangs, and you actually see it. Yeah. And again, a CGI shot, just a single shot back then was like $100,000, just a couple seconds of a shot. Mm. But then, you know, if you build this giant set, you build this giant basilisk, financially, you're saving money. If you're maybe now it's down to $30,000 per shot. That's that's a good investment. And that set, the Chamber of Secrets set is one of my favorite sets in all of the Harry Potter. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's enormous. It's so cool. And they built the whole thing. It's crazy. Can you imagine like hanging out on that for the day? Yeah, for real. It's so big. Uh And it was nice in uh, the... The last film when they went back in there. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that was pretty cool to get the fangs. <laughs> yeah, and again, but again, uh, not to like finish up too quickly, but like you, you were also introduced to like new magic. So yeah. like the flu powder sequence is super fun when you're traveling flu powder. Yeah, and it gets it gets lost in Nocturne Alley diagonally, diagonally. <laughs> what do you say, diagonally? <laughs> and like you, you almost wish you could see more of Nocturne Alley. And we also see the box that Malfoy uses in Half Blood Prince in that store he winds up in. And also we're introduced to dueling in this one. Yeah, which is a lot of fun because we can learn how um, physical alter- altercations uh, happen in the Wizarding World. And just like in everything in the Wizarding World, it looks so unsafe. <laughs> like you think they're just gonna like learn simple moves, and they're like only disarming spells, and they're just blasting each other, they're back throwing and each forth. other thirty feet across the room. Yeah, and like th- th- my one knock on this whole sequence is like every <laughs> spell does the same thing. Yeah, they all just push they're them just back. Like, they, you spin differently. Like you either <laughs> twirl like a ballerina, or you go backwards and somersault. It's like what the fuck? Can we get like something cool happening? I love I love chamber. It's one of the best ones for sure. It Chamber's might even great. be better than Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Um, great time. Again, John Williams' score is fantastic. So good. He, uh, you know, expanded on Sorcerer's Stone. And, yeah. 
Let's move on. All right, let's move on. We got Prisoner of Azkaban. My favorite Harry Potter movie. I think it might be my favorite, too. I think it's the best one, too. And I think it, the reason for that, obviously, is because it was made by Alfonso Cuaron, and the- he was given freedom to change it up a little bit yeah. and have a little fun with things. Yeah, Cuaron created this like shift from this like medieval, classical-style of filmmaking to more edgy, realistic, gritty mm. filming in this new approach. And um, the color palette of the film is this dark blue gray, um, the hues darker. So you really feel the tone shift right here for the franchise. Yeah, and everything. We're even talking about wardrobe, lighting, yeah. set design. Everything's changed. It's obviously similar, but, you know, Quran had this brilliant vision for this movie mm. and for the franchise because he set the tone pretty much for every other movie after this yeah before david yates takes over and um Quran's vision is phenomenal and he even fit in a handheld shot in this yeah one of the first shots is in the house when yeah. harry opens the door for the couple visiting yeah at the dursley's house yeah and um no he opens the door for vernon Vernon, yeah. yeah so yeah. he opens the door for Vernon. It's a handheld shot. It's real quick. It's like five seconds long, but it's it's so fun. It, show, it tells you like, oh, we're changing it up right here. Yeah. You know, Koran's a, he loves his handheld shots. He also, in this film, because he's a, a pioneer of long takes in the modern era, and he uses um, long takes a few times in this movie, and they're brilliant, and they're also, they're not easy to spot. You don't even notice that when they're happening. Yeah, like the one where Mr. Weasley takes Harry to talk to a side from everybody else. Yeah, like the the leaky cauldron. It's a three minute shot. Amazing shot. Yeah. And and what he does is every like couple seconds, it's a it's a newly framed shot with yeah. different uh uh different. He sets it up in different angles. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I had a brain shut off for a second. But he brings his his uh unique um foreign film aesthetic to the Harry Potter franchise. Yeah. In, a, in a great way. It's like realism. Yeah. Bringing realism to the wizarding world. Yeah. Rather than complete magic. That's what doing a long take does, and that's what doing a handheld shot does. And more new new practical effects, I think. So like, one yeah. of my favorite practical effects in Azkaban, which you didn't see in the first two movies, which he does in the beginning of the movie, is Lumos yeah. lighting up the wands, creating this, like, flashlight and wands, which you read mm-hmm. about in the book so often, you never saw it in the first two movies. Yeah. And then it's in the opening of the movie when Harry's reading his magic book under um, his blanket. Under his blanket, yeah. He's just saying, Lumos, Lumos, Maximus, Maxima. And, like, it's so cool to see this, like, practical, simple effect of just a wand being lit yeah. and how much it brings you more into the world of magic. Mm-hmm. And I guess what they would use is obviously uh, real lights on the, on the tips of the wands, mm-hmm. but they were battery-powered, and I guess the... The, the actors had to wear these battery packs like on their arms and they said by the end of the day you're like exhausted because you're, you're opening oh, like, a pound of batteries for like eight hours straight <laughs> hundred takes. on just one arm. But I, I love the effect and it adds so much to the movie. Yeah. And then John Williams' score was mixed up a little bit too. He, he added like uh, a lot of new themes, a new style to it, a new tone to it to match the new tone of the film. It's very jazzy. Yeah. Like the night, the night bus, bus. The night bus scene, you're like, whoa, yeah. this is freaking cool. Yeah. I like this a lot. That's how we started. That was a jazz piano. So edgy and fun. Yeah. And not that the other ones aren't edgy, aren't fun, but like they're very classical. Yeah. And then you just take this whole new this whole new look on Harry Potter and what you can do with yeah. the Wizarding World. And then one of the most memorable um, aspects to the franchise that were introduced to in this film are the Dementors. Yeah. Which end up being one of my favorite villains. Um, they're just terrifying creatures and just the thought of them being real is horrifying. These soul-sucking monsters that f- that can fly and it's just a terrifying villain. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. And that first time we see one on the train and everything freezes and, and it, it opens the door and it's got these long fingers with like talons on its net, like these long nails. And Harry passes out like... That was a great way to introduce that new creature. It was awesome. And you're yeah. also introduced to Remus Lupin, Lupin yeah. played by uh, Thulis. David Thulis. Yeah, and he does an amazing job. And Lupin becomes like such a, a huge character in this movie and becomes a fan favorite for a lot of people. He, play, he plays a father figure to Harry in this movie. He's Harry's really really his first father figure, if yeah. you think about it. Like Hagrid, I would say Hagrid, maybe. Like Hagrid's more like a brother figure. Uncle, I wouldn't say, uncle. Uncle, yeah. I wouldn't say Hagrid's a, so much a father figure. Obviously, Dumbledore becomes a father figure, but they're still very distant and don't know each other very yeah. well. But Lupin's the first like real father figure that he yeah, has. Yeah, he's the first adult that adult male that he connects to on an emotional level. Because Hagrid's a silly kind of kid guy. Yeah. You know, he's a big giant. Like it, He's yeah. not a father figure. And also, uh, Lupin has a connection to Harry's father so and his mother. So um, it's great. to it, it feels like he's kind of part of family to him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he, he knows him from his he, yeah. he knows his past. Just like when we're introduced to Sirius, played by Gary Oldman. Yeah. Who's, I think, probably my favorite character in he's Harry great. Potter. Yeah. If not Harry, but like Sirius is my favorite character. He's easily the coolest character in all the movies. <laughs> he's so cool. This is Gary Oldman's at, at his coolest. Yeah. He's like in his prime. Yeah. He's got this great uh, mustache and <laughs> great mustache, the hair yeah. and everything. He's yeah. just perfect for yeah. this part. And he plays it so well. But obviously, you don't really get to. To know him yet, but you get that shot of him on the newspaper yeah. screaming, and you think he's this, this deranged killer. Um, and he, he, Gary's so talented that he's able to sell that and also sell the fact that he's actually a, a good, kind person mm-hmm. um, by the time he's really revealed. Yeah. And this movie, it's really a lot of fun. Yeah. It's probably the most fun out of all of them, and there's so many great scenes. It's like, the most unique, too. Like the, the Buckbeak scene and yeah. like that great music, that's dude, the dude, drums dude, when he, dude, he hops on Buckbeak's back and they go fly over the lake. Oh, hell yeah. And then um, the Bogart scene. I love the Bogart scene yeah. when Lupin's teaching them how to defend against one. Mm. It's just so fun. It's, yeah. it's a great laugh, like the spider on the, on the roller skates and yeah. uh, Alan Rickman and Snape in a... Neville's grandmother's outfit. The divination class is awesome. Yeah, everything yeah. about this movie is really fun, except for that that one kid who's always like, it's like trying to catch smoke, trying to catch smoke with your bare hands. <laughs> that kid gets like three random lines throughout the movie. That end scenes. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's just like a, like a train whistle. <laughs> but overall, beautifully filmed the movie. Yeah. Every single shot is just artistically a beautiful master shot in the yeah. lighting, the coloring, the the wardrobe, just the framing. It's it, it's all amazing. It looks so good. Shot on film, man. Michael Saracen filmed it. He did um the new Planet of the Apes movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, he helped on Gravity too, uh-huh. which Karan did. Oh, he he filled in for Lubeski when he couldn't. Yeah. Shoot. So um, it's just it's a really fun movie. And one of my favorite things that ever happened in any of the movies is is uh when Hermione and, and Harry go back in time. And it's super fun. It's such a creative part of the plot that JK came up with. And I love how they're trying to avoid themselves and and how 
things that happened the first time were caused by them in the future. Yeah. And it was just, it's brilliant. I loved it. it the whole, every time I watch it, I'm like, this is so genius and yeah. so creative. It's so fun. Yeah. Every freaking scene in this movie is, is a blast. Yeah. And then like the Forbidden Forest with the werewolf. And I really like yeah. the design of the werewolf because normally you see werewolf and it's just like, there's this big, giant, monstrous werewolf, but he, he's more like a dog and he's yeah. kind of He's gaunt. hairless. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I love the, the character, the creature design in this movie is great. Yeah. And then, the shrieking shack when you finally get to see you know Sirius and Lupin and you don't know you don't know what the hell is going it's on. It's a standoff. It yeah. seems like a climax. It seems like the end of the movie almost. Yeah. It's not even it's close not. to the end of the movie. No way. They, we haven't even gone to the Dementor scene where Harry saves himself. Oh he's my his god! Father. That's one of the oh my that scene where he's just uh, waiting for who he thinks is his dad is going to show up to to put a Patronus up that he saw earlier this giant Patronus and then when he just realizes it's not his dad and he just jumps up on the the shore and he does. Expecto Patrono. Save him in serious. Dude, goosebumps. I just got goosebumps thinking about it. It's one of my favorite scenes. It's of all unbelievable. Th- all the Harry Potter movies. It's, it's so great. And then you can see that Harry is actually a very powerful wizard and very talented. And this is the first time you get to see him really showcase that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because normally you, the whole other two movies, he just seems like a normal guy. Yeah. But then you realize, wow, he's, he's got some skills. Yeah, exactly. And, um... I think the the Quidditch is the best in this movie yeah, out of it's all great. of them. It's so fun, and the the, the um, aspect of the rain, yeah, is great. And the music is awesome to it too. Yeah, and like it, like when he flies past the crowd, and you can hear him go go Gryffindor. Yeah, it's yeah. just so cool. Yeah, it seems so realistic. But unfortunately, is, it's kind of the shortest one though. Yeah, it's it's tiny, and um, yeah, Williams' score is great, and this is the last time John Williams scored a Harry Potter movie. Yeah, unfortunately, and it's also again. Uh, where Michael Gammon takes over as Dumbledore yeah. instead of Richard Harris. Yeah. And um, we've already talked about that. Uh, it's unfortunate that Richard Harris had a pa- passed away before uh, to get to filming on this one. But again, Michael Gammon did a great job establishing yeah. himself as the new Dumbledore. And I think his, his opening speech at the at the first feast kind of just introduced him to the audience as, I'm, all, the, I'm the new Dumbledore. Which is also another long take. Yeah, yeah. you're right. All right. Prisoner's our favorite one. Now let's move on to my least favorite one. <laughs> Goblet of Fire. And you know, just saying, me saying it's my least favorite one doesn't mean it's a bad movie. Yeah. It's just my my bottom ranked one. Yeah, me too. Um, and it's one of the better books too, but this movie, it just, it does, the tone is just a little, it doesn't feel quite right like the other one. It's lost, I think. Yeah, and especially coming after after Azkaban, you got big shoes to fill. Yeah. But Mike Newell did a, did a good job with it. Um, and the cast is really getting older in this one. You can see like they're, they're older teenagers. Yeah. They're growing up and this one has the fun... Um, theme of the kids going through puberty and dating for the first time with, yeah. the, with the dance. So that, that's a fun aspect of it. Yeah, and it was a good transition from the brilliance of Koran to the very effectiveness of David Yates. Um, it also introduced us to Ray Fiennes yeah. as Voldemort. Yeah, the when Voldemort is reborn, um, that scene is is so intense and, and terrifying and, and so well done. And the des- the final design of Voldemort is is perfect. It's brilliant. That's exactly how I pictured him in the books. I think Ray Fiennes, he's one of the best cast actors for the character in the entire franchise. Yeah, and he's he's legit born to be Voldemort. I he's he crushed it, and he he does so much with it, and he only has a few scenes in this one and the next few. Um, but he's he's absolutely terrifying as Voldemort. Doesn't even look human. No, nah. I mean aesthetically he doesn't look human. But even in his eyes, like that's not a real human being yeah. playing him. It's yeah. insane. He, he he commits to it fully. Yeah. And um, that scene is great, and especially when they have that duel at the end. Yeah. And their um their wands cross. Yeah. And uh, this movie was like 
the long hair craze that the United yeah, yeah. States and, and England was going through. So yeah. like everyone just got ridiculous long yeah. hair, which I, I think it was a thing going on. It was like a fad. Yeah. Uh, culturally, yeah, yeah. So they just like, hey, everyone, grow your fucking hair out. <laughs> everyone had long hair. It was in this like movie. surfer hair. Yeah, it was just yeah, like the cool. And then um, one one con, I have I have multiple cons of this movie, but one of my my least favorite things about it is the Durham stand and and uh, Bow Bottom schools are just like boy school and a girl school. Yeah, it's like what? Where do the French boys go to school? Yeah, exactly. Where, yeah. where do the where Scandinavian girls learn magic? Yeah. What the hell? My my biggest qualm with the movie is um one of the one of the main plots of the film is uh the the, the high school dance c- coming up and uh, Harry and Ron are struggling to get dates and I just find it so unbelievable that Harry can't find a date to the dance because this guy should be the superstar of this school like up until this point he's defeated Voldemort twice he slayed a basilisk <laughs> and he de- and he defeated a dragon at the Triwizard Tournament. And no girl wants to go to the dance with him? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You would think it, it's because he's like a, a nervous kid. He's a normal kid. You know, that's but the still, whole point. You, there would like, be nervous girls going after him. There should be girls waiting outside of his classroom every day. He should have class. A, li- a line outside of his bedroom. <laughs> 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 All right, next. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He's laid a dragon. Like, what are you going to do to be cool? <laughs> he beat a basilisk and a dragon. <laughs> That the dragon scene's pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's like, the best part of the movie. Yeah. The second best part of the movie. The, when he fights the dragon, that's a really that cool chase scene. scene. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, this is a fun movie. Getting introduced to to Ray Fiennes as Voldemort is awesome. Yeah, my least favorite one. We won't spend all day on it. But it's still great. Yeah, it's still great. It's still fun it's to watch. watch. The books it might be the best book. Yeah. It's huge, it's dense. But um let's move on. Let's do it. To Order of the Phoenix, number five. So and then uh this is when things start getting pretty serious, and it's the first time we see uh, an attack in the real world when Harry gets attacked in the tunnel by that Dementor with Dudley, with with Dursley, Dudley, yeah, Dudley Dursley, yeah. And um, it's the first time he uses magic outside of the Wizarding World on purpose, yeah, which is obviously a no-no and leads to this wild storyline where Harry's being tried as for a crime as an adult yeah. for a wizard using magic outside of school, which is yeah. illegal, mm-hmm. and normally. This wouldn't be. This would just be a slap on the wrist because he was defending himself. But however, David Yates takes over and he does this great job of having Voldemort in the world somewhere. Voldemort's yeah. back. People don't know it yet, but he does a great job creating this tension and, and shows like these little things that that uh, Voldemort's starting to take over, like government, and yeah. he's reaching his hands out there. But also Cornelius Fudge doesn't want to believe it, so he's he's putting a tighter, firm grip on everything. And there's that great shot when Harry's at the train station and he just catches a, a glimpse of Voldemort. He's wearing that black suit and he's just standing in the train station. And it's, it's a vision, but it looks great. Dude, I, I love super- that shot because there's so many memes that are made yeah. about it. He's so like, like, got that, like... <laughs> it's like head. Voldemort for Giorgio Armani. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like Harry dreaming of Voldemort yeah. and, he's, and we're trying to find out that he's there. But Be- this movie, what it what it does is it shows us that it reveals the connection that Voldemort has to uh, Harry and how they're tied together and how he Voldemort is affecting Harry in a negative way. Um, so this is the first film for David Yates as the successor to uh, Newell. And he eventually becomes the main director for the rest of the Harry Potter movies and on to Fantastic Beasts. So he's basically the new director for Harry Potter. He establishes a new style for the remaining films, kind of like uh, similar to Koran's style in Azkaban, which I think he tried to emulate, but also his own twist on it. Mm-hmm. And this film proves without a doubt that 
Harry Potter and the franchise is growing up. Yeah. You know, we're getting older. These again, like you said, things are getting more serious. There's more more serious themes, there's more serious tones. People are actually in real danger and relationships are starting to build and everything like that. And yeah. Dark Lord is back. Yeah. And also in this one, I think is the first time we sp- we start spending a lot more time outside of the school. Mm-hmm. So that before they get to school, there's a lot going on. The Order of the Phoenix, Order man. Order of the Phoenix, this, man. We finally get to to learn about Sirius yeah. and you you finally get a sense of who he is, his character, and yeah. you, you grow to love him in this movie and his interactions with Harry, and you see their, the bond and relationship they're starting to build. Yeah, and it's like it's like this cool group of vigilantes yeah. that are fighting against the Death Eaters, and it's awesome. And it's top secret, and yeah. Harry's not allowed because they're all too young, <laughs> but you know, Sirius wants him to join, does that like wink for him? Yeah. And he really becomes a father figure to him in this one. Yeah, big time. You can really see the love. Yeah. And um, another great thing about this movie that you love and hate at the same time is Dolores Umbridge. Yeah. And obviously you hate her in the books, but they did such a good job yeah. bringing this character to life, yeah. creating this evil little toad-like woman who you hate. You hate her so much. And they, they're so accurate with like her pink wardrobes and yeah. like the little kitten dishes and, her and everything. Voice. And her her how evil she just is as a person and yeah. a human being and a witch. And um, Imelda Staunton did a fantastic job Bringing Dolores Umbridge back to life, yeah, and it's one of the best parts of the movie because you hate it so much, and it's like, in, uh, like a, a so annoying whenever she's on camera, but you yeah. can't live without it. She's her, her, she's a contradiction to like on the outside is a complete opposite to who she is on the inside. She's ruthless and she's cruel on the inside. Like when she t- she's literally punishing students by torturing them. Just one downside to this movie is you don't get much Dumbledore because obviously in in the book he's keeping his distance from Harry because he thinks. That will help protect him from Voldemort. Yeah. But it is kind of a bummer because, you know, Michael Gammon's great and you want to learn more about Dumbledore. And he's he's kind of disappears because he's being attacked as as uh, having told that he's lost his ways and they try to kick him out of Hogwarts and everything. Yeah. Dumbledore's army, super fun. Yeah. So all these ro- all these kids are just getting together. They're preparing a rebellion. Yeah. They understand there's a, there's about to be a war that's yeah. going to happen. And you know they're not being taught the proper information and, and given the proper skills to defend themselves in the real world if they get attacked by a Death Eater or by Voldemort. Mm-hmm. And so Harry's, you find out Harry's a great leader. He's mm-hmm. a great teacher. He actually is a very skilled wizard because he has to take all these kids and teach them how to fight and teach yeah, them how to he's, cast spells. He's been through so much shit. He's like a, a war veteran. <laughs> <laughs> and then this leads to the highlight of the movie, and it's the first epic battle between two wizards when Voldemort goes up against Dumbledore. And it's exactly everything you wanted to see in this fight that we were we were building towards. Like the shit these two do, the magic they're performing is unbelievable from like that fire dragon to like that giant orb of water that he traps Voldemort in, and then like when Voldemort like breaks all the glass in the Ministry and like sends it flying to Dumbledore, and he makes that like force field that turns it all to sand. Yeah, like it's amazing. It's, it's so incredible. Sick. And then Harry fucks everything. Yeah, up. Yeah, he keeps getting in the way. And uh, I, I really I love the possession scene. Yeah, it's really emotional and um, it kind of like brings tears to your eye because it's this beautiful score going along yeah. in the background. And um, you can just see Dumbledore's. Tr- I mean, uh, um, Voldemort's just trying to take Harry over and just consume mm-hmm. his life and possess him. But Harry's fighting back, and and he won't let him in. And then he eventually, this is another situation where Voldemort doesn't understand that love is the greatest magic of all. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Once <laughs> again, how many times do we get that in <laughs> every movie? Play it. <laughs> and it was great to see uh, the the Death Eaters fighting the Order of the Phoenix. 
Yeah, it was cool. But I was a little yeah. disappointed by that fight. I wish yeah. it was a lot. It wasn't cooler. as good as in the book. It was yeah. not that cool. <laughs> <laughs> they just like show up like superheroes and like in it's like white light white versus smoke. Deck. Yeah, yeah. I, don't know. I yeah. didn't like it that much because it was lame. <laughs> <laughs> but it did lead to um, one of the most heartbreaking parts of the of the franchise is when Sirius gets killed. When Sirius dies, man, he dies. That is, that is a yeah. bummer because you know he just enters Harry's life, and yeah. Harry wants to live with him, and they want to yeah. live together, and you think they're gonna just end up being best buds, and he's gonna be his like <laughs> new dad. <laughs> he fucking <Poor> dies. <laughs> Harry's like distraught afterwards. Yeah, and obviously in the book he destroys Dumbledore's office, but he just like sits down and is like really mad at him yeah. instead yeah. in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> but like in the audience, we loved we loved Sirius, so seeing him die was heartbreaking. It was, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bummer. And you eventually see snippets of him uh, yeah, later yeah. on. Yeah. But um, it's it's really sad. But it's a good movie. Yeah. It's uh, got the most action so far. It's not like my top three or anything like that. Yeah. Again, that doesn't mean it's a bad movie, but yeah. it's a great... They get, did a great job continuing the story. Um, David Yates' first take knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Let's move on to Half-Blood Prince number six, which is... I think it's my second favorite one out of all of them. It's fantastic. It's really good. It's... I think, yeah, it's one of the best made films of the franchise... And um, again, you're taking these characters and they're growing up, not in just real the real life and the real world as actors and people, but mm. in the story too. And you're you're putting them in more mature situations. The you're, themes are are darker. Yeah, you're really yeah. dealing with like girlfriends and boyfriends, yeah. and you know, again, mortal peril for everybody. Um, relationships that are being broken and people getting in fights and social circles and stuff like that. Mm. And um, and it, this I think it's the the most gorgeously shot in the franchise. Um. They uh, chemically dipped the the film before they shot it, so it has that that desaturated, tinted quality to it, um, and I, it sets it apart from the other films. Um, and it's just it's beautifully made, and it was actually um, the only one that's been nominated for an Oscar for cinematography. Yeah, this you're you're absolutely right. This is yeah. the, the most well shot, beautifully shot movie. Yeah, Azkaban's beautiful, but this yeah. one is just kind of on a different level than Azkaban. <laughs> and um. On top of the the film, it has this greenish tint to it the whole time, and it's got a, this hue to it and the saturation to it that really sets it apart from the other films and um, puts it on another level aesthetically. They got really creative with the shots too. Yeah. There's like a lot of cool shots, especially like when they're going into the pensive, which is a lot different than when they were going into the pensive in the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, and also like all these cool shots they do like going into the cauldrons and stuff like that. Mm. So um, I think they just expert cinematography in this in this movie and more creativity in this movie yeah and they're kind of just like uh expanding their boundaries of what they they'll try for shots and try for aesthetics and everything was just a really great decision because it looks so freaking good and i really like snape in this movie i think he's a lot more comical um he has a lot more scenes than a lot of the other movies too and you get a really good sense of him and also this is again malfoy's coming back and malfoy has a lot of scenes in this movie and has his, his own secret mission that's going on yeah we don't really know what he's doing they're not they haven't explained it um but it's the movie opens um first with that attack in the city which is really great it's not in the books but it's a great addition to show that um the death eaters are kind of like terrorists yeah it's scary to see yeah. like it's happening in the real world yeah yeah we see uh, and then after that we see snape make the unbreakable vow with Narcissa Malfoy, um, and he pledges that he will follow through with whatever Draco can't can't uh, accomplish and help him. Yeah, so he'll help him and follow through if if Draco fails yeah. his mission, and if he breaks the vow, he yeah. dies. Yeah, he dies. Which you know it's pretty pretty big stakes, high stakes, and also because this whole time you're like 
is Snape a good guy or is he a bad guy? Yeah. And now, like, you're watching this, and obviously you've never seen read the books. Yeah. You're thinking, is oh, he's a bad guy. He really is. He's a double agent. Yeah, so he's been he's pretending working, the whole time. Yeah, he's working with Voldemort. Yeah. But also, at the same time, you know, he's Dumbledore trusts Snape. Yeah. And he's saved Harry. Yeah, he's a couple he's, of times. He's helped Harry multiple times. Yeah. Although he hates and despises Harry with a passion. Yeah. He's never tried to kill him. Yeah, we'll get to a we'll talk about why in the next few. But I mean, Alan Rickman is such a great actor, and he he is awesome in this movie again because I think this is more screen time Absolutely. he gets in any movie. Yeah. And, and he has a real. This is the first time in a movie he has a real arc. Yeah, you know what I mean. A good arc. Yeah, he's, he's dabbles in some of the other ones, but yeah. like his arcs get cut out of a lot of movies because there's so much material to go over. Yeah, but um, it's a very dark character, but he also plays it in such an empathetic way. Yeah. And it's pro- it's my favorite role that Alan Rickman's ever done. Yeah, I think I think Snape's better than Hans Gruber. Yeah, Snape is a great villain, and just like those beats and pauses he takes between yeah. his words and everything. Such a good actor. And then when, let's just get right to it. When when he kills Dumbledore, and you can see the pain in his face, and then Dumbledore begs him. And when he when Dumbledore says please, initially, if you haven't read the books, you think that he's saying please don't kill me. But what he's really doing is he's saying, please kill me. Yeah, when you go watch that after yeah. knowing what's really happening, yeah. and then Snape and Alan Rickman does such a great job expressing that yeah. emotion that he doesn't want to kill him. Yeah, it changes the context. But he has to. Yeah. And he, he promised Dumbledore that he'd do it. Yeah. There's something um, actually that I forgot to mention in Sorcerer's Stone is um, J.K. Rowling told, divulged some facts about Snape's um, um, storyline in the later books to um, Alan Rickman. To help inform his performance, mm-hmm. so he knew some things that other actors didn't know, um, even from even from the first movie. But um, and then he's he's great in this movie. He's, he steals every scene he's in. Um, and then when it's revealed that he's the half blood prince, um, you're like, oh fuck, he really he must really be the uh, one of the main bad guys now. Yeah, he's really working with with Voldemort. Yeah, because the whole time you think the half blood prince has got to be it's got to be Voldemort. You know what I mean? Or if not Voldemort, just some other dark wizard. Yeah. But the last thing we, last person you expected was Snape. Yeah, and before Dumbledore's death, though, like Dumbledore is heavily involved in this movie, which I love because Michael Gammon's awesome. Oh yeah, and there's so many interactions with him, with Dumbledore and Harry, and it's awesome to see. And he becomes this new father figure for Harry, which yeah. we've been wanting to see for so long. Yeah, them sharing the screen together is the highlight of this movie because because again, Order of the Phoenix, he's hardly in there because he's keeping his distance from Harry. Yeah. But now he's like a fatherly figure. He's very warm with Harry. Yeah. He's cordial. He's open with him. And then, but also in all the other movies, like when they interact, there's either other people around or they're at the at Dumbledore's office and that's it pretty much yeah so in this one they actually go on an adventure yeah and it's this great sequence where they go um, journey to the cave journey to the cave so in this in Half-Blood Prince we're introduced to the Horcruxes um, and we're, we're learning what they are in, in relation to Voldemort and we realize and we learn that the diary, the diary was a Horcrux the di- diary was the first Horcrux that we saw in the ring yeah and then um, and so now they're on this journey to get this new Horcrux um, but this one is it's magical set, protection. Magical protection, and when they get to that uh, little island on the water, and then those like dead zombie-like creatures start coming out of the water. The fairy, yeah, it's terrifying, man. Well, it, first you just they're just taking the little boat across, and you can yeah. see them floating peacefully beneath the surface of the water. But um, the scene, yeah. So they get to the island. And um, Dumbledore has to drink the potion. Yeah. And it's just such an emotional scene because he's saying all these things that you don't know at the time. Again, 
connect with later on the, in the Deathly Hollows when you learn about Dumbledore's past. Yeah. And um, he's begging Harry to kill him and everything. And it's just a very emotional scene with the music and the pain that Michael Gammon's expressing as Dumbledore. Yeah, and in, in the scene, if you haven't seen it, he has to drink um, all, of the, all of this liquid. And um, it only works if he drinks all of it. Yeah. And then you find out eventually at the end of the movie that the Horcrux wasn't real. And Dumbledore, Harry thinks Dumbledore died for no reason at all in vain. But really, it, it was a necessary step to yeah. finding out the Horcruxes yeah. and everything. And it's a great scene when Harry gets taken under the water by um, those zombie creatures, and then Dumbledore finally comes to, and he he just busts out these giant flames that envelop the entire uh, cave, and it's like, holy shit, Dumbledore is so powerful. Yeah. You forget about it sometimes. Now you're connected with, we're also seeing Draco and his whole mission that he's been on, this whole entire movie, his yeah. side mission, which you, you obviously Dumbledore seems to have let him run out and like accomplish. Mm. He's let Death Eaters he knew, into the house. He apparently, he knew about it the whole time. Yeah, he, so he knew about it the whole time and let it happen, just like he let Snape and wanted Snape to kill him. And um, obviously, in the book, there's this crazy, massive battle. Yeah. But you can see why they couldn't like afford to do that. Maybe they couldn't fit it in. Also, I think it, they, they had too much running time already. Yeah. It was, it's, it's a long one. It's a long movie. So I understand why they didn't put that into the movie. But yeah. they still did a great job with this entire scene. Yeah. But there's so many other th- great things about this movie I want to touch on real quick. Like uh, Jim Broadbent, is Horace Slughorn, is yeah. awesome in this movie. He's so funny. He's so fun and, and, yeah. and such an interesting guy. And I think he does a great job in this movie as Slughorn. And mm-hmm. like the Slug Club sequences are great. Yeah. And then you learn that he's an essentially vital character to this story specifically with the flashbacks with um with Tom Tom Riddle and the memories yeah. and trying to procure the correct memory from him. Yeah. And I think that's my favorite part about the whole film are the uh the flashbacks to Tom Riddle because it's so fascinating to see what Voldemort was like as a kid and as a teenager. In that first scene when Dumbledore finds him in the orphanage and um the young actor is just he's great. It's actually Ray Fine's nephew. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's just got, you can tell he's like a serial killer as a kid. Yeah. Because he, he, when Dumbledore's talking to him, he, he tells Dumbledore that he can, he can hurt things and he can hurt animals. Steals things. He steals things. So he's, he's using his, his magical powers for, for, um, nefarious reasons. And he, he likes to kill. You have that sense. Like it's like a serial killer as a child. You know what I mean? And you can see that he's a sociopath. Yeah, and he lo- doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what he's doing. Yeah. Those are great sequences going back, and yeah. then um, you know, this movie is about teenagers navigating hormonal life. You know, yeah. I mean, they're going through so many changes, and they're dealing with relationships, but also you're dealing with Voldemort on the rise, and yeah. the Death Eaters continuing their movement. So it's like this this great tension of 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 death staring you like in the shadows, but also real life. Yeah, and you know, this movie is. Heavily deals with a lot of relationships, like Ron with Lavender Brown. Hooking up with Lavender. And I know a lot of people don't like this whole like rom-con aesthetic and part of it, but it's part of the books. And yeah. I really like that they brought it to the movie. Because, it brings a lightness to the movie. Yeah. Because otherwise, it, it's a very dark movie. And it's relatable. Yeah. I think people who don't like this have just never been with a girl before or been with a... <laughs> <laughs> so they're upset about it. But I have no problem with all the romance. And I, I think it's fun. It's a it's a good time. It's relatable. Yeah, and um, there's drama. It's good. Yeah. it's a school of kids that live the co-ed school and they live there. There's gonna be drama. Yeah, you can't leave it out. Yeah, um, it makes it seem you know extra relatable. Yeah, and you know you're dealing with broken hearts and broken relationships and people in love with each other and making mistakes. And then I think uh, 
what uh, Michael Gam- Dumbledore's like, oh, to be young and in love or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really funny. Yeah. And um, one of the best scenes in the whole movie, though, is Liquid Luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Harry wins Liquid he Luck thanks to the potions book that he uh, that his Half Blood Prince helped him out with. And then um, he's been saving it, and you know, at first he tricks Ron to thinking that he gave it to him to perform better at the Quidditch yeah. game, just like MJ in Space Jam. Yeah, exactly the <laughs> same thing. JK definitely stole that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike's magic magic drink or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And um, and then he actually uses Felix, and like they're trying to figure out, oh, you have to get the memory though. That like that's the most important thing, Harry. How are you going to figure this out? And then he's like, oh, we'll take Felix Felicis. Yeah. And then it's so funny because he takes the Felix Felicis. And then um, he's supposed to go help Slughorn. And then he's like, I think I'll go, go see Hagrid. Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> and he puts him on this weird trail of like this random shit that he's just doing. Yeah, he meets up with Slughorn. It's and really clever. In the yeah. book, like, there's more with like, Ginny and yeah, stuff. Yeah. But like he meets up with Slughorn, and Slughorn uh, is like stealing like flowers off a plant. Yeah. And then uh, eventually leads to helping him bury Aragog, where Slughorn eventually, after him and Hagrid get drunk together... Um, Gives into giving Harry the memory. Exactly what he needed. And it's just, it's just a really funny, it's really clever and emotional se- uh, sequence. Yeah. Because it's, you know, the first time that Harry kind of talks about his parents and talks about his mother to somebody else and like the sacrifice that she made. And, and like, Slughorn lo- connects to it because he loved Lily as a student. Yeah. He's, she was one of his favorite students. So it's a really great monologue by yeah. Harry in, in Radcliffe and, and it's a really emotional scene. And it's an important memory because it's the memory which reveals that um, Tom Riddle was asking about Horcruxes, um, which ends up becoming his ultimate plan to immortality. So yeah, this is this is my second favorite. This is a great movie. Harry I think it's movie. absolutely one of the best of the franchise. Yeah. So so good. Yeah, there's so much we could talk about, but I think we should probably move on. Uh-oh. Here to we the go. Deathly Hollows. Part 1. We should probably just do part 1 and part 2 all together. I think we should, yeah, actually. Yeah, just ju- we'll just say Deathly Hollows is part 1 and 2 jumbled together as one big movie cuz really they wrote it originally as one script. It was like 580 pages. Yeah. And it was like a f- it would be a 5-hour cut. Yeah. But I'm so glad that they cut this into two movies because yeah. there's so much material that you have to cover and you can't do it justice by doing one movie, even if you did a three-hour movie. Yeah, a lot of people say it was a cash grab by Warner Brothers. And I, yes, they made a lot more money by making it two movies. But this story for this book is so jam-packed with important material, like you just said. it. There's no way it could have worked as one movie for two and a half hours. There's no way. It's, an, it's it's inconceivable. I mean, there are other long books like Goblet of Fire, but they're just in school half the time. You yeah. don't need to show every freaking classroom scene, but there's so many vital uh, yeah. plot points in Deathly Hollows, the book, that you have to show. Like, everything with the Deathly Hollows in general, like, you, it's super important. you need everything that happens in that movie yeah. and the book into the movie. And this movie has a, has a fantastic opening where it opens with that Death Eater meeting, and Voldemort's just like, he's in power, and all the Death Eaters are at, at the Malfoy Mansion, and you're like, holy shit, this shit's real. And um, they there's that woman they cap- kidnapped, and she's just floating above the table. Yeah, the Muggle Studies professor. Yeah, the Muggle Studies professor. And it's just like terrifying. He's like, like we th- he, she thinks we should mate with the Muggles. <laughs> <laughs> and the ir- irony of, of Voldemort and his ha- and his uh, pure blood obsession is he's half blood. I Voldemort is such an interesting character because he hates. Half, he hates muggles and he hates Half-Blood so much, but he is one himself. So he hates himself. He hates himself, which leads to his his troubledness, his trouble with his own his own identity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he's such an ironic character. Like he never wants to accept who he is. Yeah. So he pretends he's something he's not. He calls his dad a filthy muggle. 
You know what I mean? But he still talks about bringing pure blood to the to the muggle to the wizarding world. He's a contradiction. He's so fascinating as a character. He really is. But and he and the thing with with um, Voldemort is his biggest fear for for being the most evil, powerful wizard ever to exist. He fears death more than anyone else. Fears death and he fears the dark. Yeah, he he is obsessed with uh with not dying. And that's what leads him on his entire journey. Yeah, that's where he hides his horcruxes and, and like yeah. so he's afraid of the dark, so that's why he hides inside that cave. Yeah. He's afraid of death, so that's why he has the, the the stone. And that's the main difference between him and Harry, because Harry willingly sacrifices himself because he's not afraid of death. Well yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. But um these movies Phenomenal, an yeah. amazing end to the franchise. They could, I, I love them both. And just like when you read the books, it just feels odd though because you're not at Hogwarts when it starts. That's why I like it so much. And so you're in like the real world. It's new. It's 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 fresh and it's exciting. Yeah, and the they're wearing normal clothes like the whole time. the whole time. Yeah, and um, obviously they eventually end up back at Hogwarts, yeah. but you can't help but crave the atmosphere of the castle. Yeah, but it eventually gets craved when you're at the castle in the second one. It gets quenched. And um, one of my favorite parts of both movies is the the, the beginning of, of of Deathly Hallows one after the Malfoy Manor, uh-huh. um, the Seven Harrys. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> it's such a great scene because you read about it and then you're like, how are they gonna do this? And you uh-huh. saw it in the trailer. Yeah, and it's so cool to see on screen in person. And it's practical. It's a practical effect. They yeah. used they used a camera, um, a motion controlled camera that did the same movement for each take. Mm-hmm. And then um, Daniel Radcliffe really just put every outfit on. Yeah, he said and- he counted over ninety takes for just one shot. Oh man! So like the workload that he had to do for that is insane imagine it's but it expert filmmaking great. expert filmmaking and all, you know it looks it's it, it's so it looks so good you think it could be fake yeah you know, it's that good of an effect you're like oh it can't be real but it is yeah it look that's why it looks so awesome yeah and they did a great job with that chase scene and the escape yeah because um, it's a really intense part of the book and this movie it just gets right off the bat we got an intense action scene to, right from the get-go action movie here we go yeah and i love mad eye moody and charlie weasley yeah in the same room at the same time because so awesome. in real life their father, father and son, son. it's uh brendan gleason and domino gleason yeah it's so cool they must have had just like the best time on set doing that for like those few days that and they were together yeah and that's domino's first major role i think yeah big time because yeah. then after that he was like in star wars and stuff like yeah. that um this is also the first harry potter movie that jk rowling was on as a producer mm. Which obviously led to her writing the scripts for Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, and what's what's cool about Part One is it kind of it just it feels like it's a road movie. Yeah, because Harry, Ron, and Hermione are, are traveling the whole time, um, constantly moving with like this nomadic sense of uh, geography. So it's it's got it's like a, a whole new genre. You know what I mean? And you would think it would be boring yeah. because in the books it's pretty long, like their journey, like yeah. like camping out. But they do a really great job in like. What they do, I think, really well is they they pick like these beautiful filming locations, yeah. just like wow, stunning. amazing, like wow, that's a way to camp right there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, but it they it it works, and obviously um, the Horcrux that they have on the locket like wears down on them in yeah. the moods and everything. And they use the Polyjuice potion to break into the Ministry, and they're these two like middle aged people. Yeah, and it's just great to see them as like older adults. And like Ron is like the the klutz of the ministry, yeah, yeah. of course, because he's already the klutz in in the group, <laughs> and he has to fix that guy's office. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's a repairman. Uh, he's, he's like, my office is ringing. He's like, you try an umbrella. 
It's a great shot when all those like hands are reaching into the elevator to get yeah. them. No, it's a great sequence, yeah. and um, you know, rescuing. I mean, stealing the locket from Umbridge's neck is just so tense. Yeah, so intense. And just getting there using the decoy detonators, yeah. and he's inside Umbridge's office after he sees Matt, he takes Mad Eye's eye off. And we the see wall, like how much door. power uh, Umbridge has now, and yeah, how she's taken over the the ministry, and how yeah. Voldemort's taken over the government and everything. And it's terrifying to see. But then you know they eventually steal the locket from Umbridge, and that awesome scene with the Dementors and like during um, the the half bloods being yeah. uh, going through testify testimonials, and um. So they steal the lo- the locket, but then they can't go back to Grimmauld Place anymore, which was like their haven for security. Mm. And this is where it's like a first major um, life threatening injury to happens to any of them when yeah. Ron gets splinched. Yeah, when they're trying to apparate back to Grimmauld Place, but um, the Ministry guy grabs a hold of him, so they, so Hermione just has to escape and go into the middle of the woods. Mm. And you know this is starting to wear on Ron and wear on all of them this journey. Yeah, and the locket's just making it worse as well. Yeah, and they're starting to turn on each other and Ron yeah. is like upset that like Harry didn't have this master plan even though Harry told them everything. Yeah. And um it's just it, it was it was hard to see them uh all turn especially Ron turn on them. Mm. And then Ron eventually abandons them. Yeah. Which obviously leads to him having the the illuminator which brings him back but there's this uh great scene when harry and hermione are on their own after ron's left in there you know they're both very sad and they're tired and they're weak and they don't know what to do and they're kind of lost with their journey on finding the horcruxes and they don't they haven't figured out their next step yet and um they wrote in this scene into the script steve cloves it's not in the book where harry and hermione have this there's a song playing in the background it's actually a nick cave and the bad seed song oh children and they have this really cute little emotional dance of just like being really good friends and mm. trying to lighten the mood and boost morale and just try to stay positive and it's, it's a really sweet it's scene. nice little moment yeah yeah i like it a lot yeah so ron comes back yeah. he sees the he, he sees the dough but yeah. you don't see it but harry sees the dough yeah. and um he follows it to a frozen lake and he sees a sort of gryffindor at the bottom of the lake and obviously it has to be put there Obviously, later on, Dumbledore explains to Snape that he has to put it underneath, like obstacles to to grab. So he has to go on, like some, be brave and like throw himself yeah. on the line to get the sword to be able to, <laughs> to earn it. it. Yeah, and uh, and then Ron obviously saves him. And then when Ron kills the locket and he kills that Horcrux, but first just, of all, when the locket opens, yeah, when it opens up, and then like Harry and Hermione are just like, macking, they're naked, making out. It's crazy. It's so weird. It's and as that voice is just taunting Ron. Yeah, and then he finally smashes the sword onto it. It's great. It's, yeah. it's a very satisfying scene. Great, and then he comes back scene. to Hermione. He's like, hey, Hermione, what's up? What's up, She's babe? pissed. <laughs> pissed off at him big time. Rightfully so. <laughs> and then, obviously, the uh, Death Eaters, not the, that gang of uh, guys come and get capture them. Yeah, the Snatchers come Snatchers. and catch them. They go to Malfoy Manor. And obviously, Bellatrix is a, is a horrible person and tries to kill everybody and starts torturing Hermione. Yeah. And then Harry and Ron get put in the basement. And who's but there? they don't recognize Harry because um, yeah. she messed up his face so that you can't tell who it is. Yeah. And then um, even Lucius and um, Narcissa ask Draco, can you identify Harry? And he's not sure. But you also think Draco knows no, for this, sh- Draco does know. Draco knows for sure. Yeah, but this is an interesting character trait for him because he knows it's Hermione. He knows it's Ron. So obviously, it's her- Harry. Yeah. And he knows it's Harry. Yeah. He's wearing he the glasses in yeah. order. But... He, but but Draco, like like what Dumbledore says earlier on, is um you know Draco is not a killer, mm-hmm. and he's not his dad. His soul isn't completely lost yet, yeah. and he can be saved, and he come to, he can come to the light. Yeah, and he's you can kind of see that he's still there's a good person deep down in Draco somewhere. Yeah, and he's di- dying to come out. He's caught up in this world that he doesn't feel like he belongs in now. Yeah, 
And so then, obviously, the sequence where Dobby saves them out of the basement, where mm-hmm. Luna and Ollivander are, and then obviously they escape, and Dobby, Dobby gets, gets killed. killed. Oh man, what an emotional scene! When when Harry's holding Dobby on the beach, and Harry and Dobby, what does Dobby say? He's like, "What such a beautiful, beautiful place, place to be with friends." Oh man, dude, it's very emotional. It's tough. It's tough because so I love Dobby. He's just like this great innocent character who you love and. You know, it's great. It was so sad. So sad. He, and, and when you read the books, he's more in the books. So you like get to know him even more. Uh-huh. But still, it's a really sad thing to see because he, he loves Harry so much. Yeah. And he'd do anything for Harry. And Harry set him free and everything. Yeah. And so the end of Deathly Hallows 1 is with Dobby's death at yeah. Shell Cottage. And then Deathly Hallows 2 starts. But before, hold on. I want to talk about something we missed that I love is... um. The backstory about the Deathly Hollows. Okay, with Xenophilius. So yeah, so when they go to Lovegood's house, and he tells them the story of the three brothers, um, I wasn't sure how they were gonna tell the t- uh, film the sequence. And what they did was they they made it an animated sequence to tell the story of the three brothers and the history of the Deathly Hollows. And it's this incredible animated sequence. Beautiful um, animation, um, very the smoky, unique, very like yeah, yeah figures. so creative and so well done. And I thought it was a brilliant way to tell the story of the Deathly Hollows without being boring. Without because how do you tell it other than someone telling it in a room for five minutes? Because mm-hmm. it's a long story. So it was a great job um, by Yates and the team to decide we'll make a, a really unique animated segment for this story. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. Very high quality too. Yeah. And Rice Fonz is awesome as Xenophilia yeah. love good. He's perfect. And he took the role. He didn't even re- read the books. He just took it because he wanted to work with such an amazing cast. Uh-huh. And so, he, I mean, I'm sure he's read the books now. Who yeah. knows? The guy's kind of, kind of, kind of a wild character. <laughs> but yeah, it's a terrific animation sequence. And then, um, but yeah, that's, I think that's one of my favorite parts of that movie. Yeah, me too. And so Deathly Hollows one ends with Dobby dying at Shell Cottage and then Deathly Hollows two starts with them learning about the wands. The Elder Wand is real. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, also, so at the end of Deathly Hollows Part 1, Voldemort breaks into Dumbledore's um, tomb. tomb, and he takes the Elder Wand from him, and then he just stands in the woods, and he just goes, ah! and just like lightning shoots out of his wand, and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Oh, man. It's pretty badass. That's great. Yeah, so then Deathly Hollows Part 2 starts, uh, opens up at Shell Cottage. I think that's the first scene, right? Yeah, first yeah. scene. Shell Cottage. Yeah. Uh, Harry buried Dobby, and then um, the Goblin is really interested in, in Harry. <clears throat> but they also learn about the Wand and the other one from Ollivander. Mm-hmm. They learn about Wand's lore, mm-hmm. and um, it's really great because you're getting this backstory. And then they decide eventually that they're gonna break into Gringotts to steal the Sword of Gryffindor because they find out the sword is in um, the Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange's yeah. vault. Yeah. And uh, that's what they found out at Malfoy Manor. So they have to break into Gringotts, which opens up like the craziest sequence ever. Like yeah. when they when they break into Gringotts and steal the freaking sword, holy it's, fucking shit. Well, first of all, Hermione uses Polyjuice Potion to become Bellatrix. It's so fun. Which is great because they're the most two most different characters in the book. Yeah, it's, and Helena Bonham Carter is... She's so funny. She's so great. She's, you know, she's playing... She's she's Bellatrix Lestrange, but she's really uh, Hermione Granger, pretending and it's, to be Bellatrix. It's, it's Emma Watts' voice, 
that's being voiced over for uh, Helena Bonham Carter. And it's just so fun to see. Yeah. Because she's such a great actress. Yeah, she's fantastic. And then you can see she had a lot of fun doing this because she actually gets to play like Hermione for a little bit. Yeah. And be her and have her mannerisms until it's they get to It's just so funny trying to see her try to try to be like evil and, and horrible. Yeah. And she's like not very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> and then Harry's. And then Ron, they just gave him long hair and a beard. Yeah. And then um, it made him look older. And then with Harry, he's in the uh, invisibility cloak with the uh, with the goblin on top of him. It's just awesome breaking yeah. in. And uh, once they start getting onto them, and they have to get out. And, and that that rail just like going through the yeah. the caverns. Yeah. And it's just a lot of fun. And yeah. it's a great first act. That's the first act of the movie. It's and then breaking in. They and then they escape on top of the dragon they're on a freaking dragon it's insane it's so fucking it's nuts. great it's i love when they're stealing the treasure though and all yeah. the expanding treasures they just going keep on expa- like and it looks like practical effects to me yeah. it looks it a looks lo- great a lot of it looks like it's real i think a lot of it is yeah and um it's but just, I, and i love the design of the dragon because it's been held in captivity underground for so how, however many decades yeah. so it's become uh very light in skin and it's weak and skinny, scarred, it's scarred blind. up, and it looks like it's suffered for so long. Yeah, and yeah. so it's, it was, it's a unique look for a dragon. You feel good about the dragon escaping. Yeah, I, I feel he great about it. He finally gets out, and he's finally on the building. He's yeah. like, oh, breath, breath, fresh air. Oh, my God, and they fly away. But I mean, they it, they fucking fly a dragon in the first fucking twenty minutes of the movie. It's, it's pretty great. crazy. It's, it's pretty incredible. Nuts. And then, um, and then, oh, by the way, also I forgot to mention, Alexandre Desplat took over for the score in Deathly Hallows Part One and Two, and. He did a phenomenal job. I think, obviously, besides John Williams, he's the next best composer of of the other films. I agree. Yeah. I know Nicholas Hooper did uh, five and six, yeah. but um, I guess he said that it was an emotional strain on his family, so he didn't want to do the other two. Uh, he did a great job. He did I a mean, good job, yeah. Half-Blood Prince is great music, too. Yeah, but I think this Splat is a brilliant composer, and he he did such an excellent job with this. He has such a unique voice yeah. musically. It's just like so hard to pinpoint. His like cinematic style is just incredible. He's very much like John Williams, where um, it's actually rare for composers, especially film composers. He writes and he conducts the orchestra during the recording. That's pretty cool. They often don't re- conduct as well. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Battle of Hogwarts. Voldemort oh, knows that they have the Horcruxes. They're going after Horcruxes, and shit's in the fan. And this is where they learn that the final Horcrux is at Hogwarts because Voldemort's like, I got to get to Hogwarts pretty yeah. soon. And so they go back to Hogwarts, and it's, it's this great sequence where they, <laughs> they get into Hogsmeade, and they meet Aberforth. Aberforth saves them from the Death Eaters. Mm. Who's uh, Dumbledore's brother? Who's Dumbledore's brother. And, yeah. you, and you finally get to learn... About Dumbledore and his past, because you yeah. get snippets of it when Harry's going through the book and he's reading the book that uh, Rita Skeeter wrote, and he starts to get these weird, these bad um, bits of information from Dumbledore because you know he thought that he and Dumbledore were so close, but Dumbledore didn't even tell them that they were both from Godric's Hollow or anything yeah. like that. So he's like, "How can I be so emotionally connected to someone who didn't even tell me that?" Mm. And um, Aberforth tells him some more information, tells him about the sister and what really happened. And it's pretty emotional, and you know, Albus was responsible for her for their sister's death. Yeah, and you finally, you you know, you learn something unsavory about Dumbledore. Yeah, and what what happened? You in think his he's because you think he's this perfect guy, and he's just he's everything that you can think of in a good person, and then you find out that he has a dark past, and he's flawed just like everybody else. Yeah, and it's awesome. And then we're getting into Hogwarts. Neville but comes. Neville. Neville. He's so badass in this movie. Yeah, he's sick in this movie. Talk about redemption. This guy yeah. is a whole new person. <laughs> he's got scars. He's bleeding. He's from in his charge head. of all the kids. Yeah, he's a badass. Yeah. He's, he's a hero in this movie. And I love he leads them through the tunnel and then they get into the big room and all of the classmates are there and they've just been camped out there waiting for their attack. Yeah, they've been waiting for Harry too. Yeah. 
And it's just great. You know? It's it's awesome to see them reunited with their friends. Yeah. And it's fun. And um Ginny's there too and he's she's reunited with Harry mm. and it's it's an amazing and but then, you know, this movie part two is just as slow paced as part one is. Part two is just on the go, constant action, constant moving, nonstop, constant story. And right from from this point on, it's basically like we gotta find the Horcrux, we gotta kill Voldemort, we gotta stop him. But also, this is just gonna be this all-out war, yeah, a wizarding war, which has been building for seven movies, seven goddamn movies, a decade, yeah, all these books. And it's it's amazing when the the uh, Voldemort and the Death Eaters make that first attack on the on the castle, and the the uh, the teachers put up that that barrier mm-hmm. and that that defense barrier that goes over the property and the death eaters can't break through it and it's just like it's unbelievable to see the teachers getting ready to defend this place and uh, McGonagall um brings all those statues to life yeah. and she's like I've always wanted to use that spell <laughs> she's like us teachers are rather good at magic Potter <laughs> <laughs> like even she's a badass it's it's pretty great to yeah. see all these professors like they're about to go to war but and also when Harry gets there initially Snape has taken over Hogwarts yeah he's the headmaster yeah he's the headmaster now and he's he's like enacting like a strict like martial law type of uh, environment and um basically this, this battle is intense and the fighting and they it's, do such a good job. It's realistic, and you've never seen so much destruction Hogwarts in a, in a gets Harry Potter movie. Yeah, it gets destroyed. And they blow this place up. And but, then there's all sorts. There's everything. There's, like, trolls in it. There's giants in it. There's spiders. spiders. Explosions. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! Guns. <laughs> <laughs> but, it's, but it's, like, the entire cast, everyone that's been in a Harry Potter movie has showed up for this battle. Yeah, even Percy's everyone, there. Everyone's there. So now this 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 battle's been raging on. Harry's figured out um, it's the tiara. They they get it yeah. back. Th- that's crazy. Where where um, they have to save Malfoy and his crew after Goyle sets the whole place on fire. Yeah. With that like evil incendiary fire, or whatever it's called. Yeah, it's a flame that just gets grows larger and larger and never stops. Yeah, and then they kill the Horcrux with it too. Yeah. And then um, and then Voldemort, you know, sh- once that one gets once once they destroy that Horcrux. It cuts to Voldemort, and he reacts like in pain to yeah. it, like he felt it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he could see like panic in his face, yeah, because he knows what the, what the kids are doing. And then Harry and her, and then uh, Ron and Hermione go off on their own, and they kill the Horcrux of the Basilisk. In the Chamber of Secrets. But I have a huge issue with this scene when they kill it with Why? the Fang because they f- they kill the Horcrux with the Fang. Uh-huh. The water goes up everywhere and splashes them, and then they kiss. Uh-huh. And then you've been waiting like so long for this kiss. You read about it, and it's like an emotional moment, big uh-huh. time moment. And all you can see is the back of Ron Weasley's stupid fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he covers he covers her face with his head. It's a terrible shot. Horrible shot. Like come I know on. exactly what you're talking about. You're it's, right. I don't want to see the back of his head. Yeah, awful shot. It's terrible. It's awful. Oh, it's gross, man. Do you think they just like they they were reluctant to do it so bad? They were just like, okay, we'll just do it once. Yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe they got a couple takes. I but wouldn't want to kiss that guy. It's a terrible <laughs> shot. Terrible, terrible shot. You're right. You don't see sh- you don't see shit when they kiss. Yeah, and then they meet up with Harry again, and um, and then this is when Voldemort stops the attack on the castle, and he gives. He gives them an ultimatum. Um, Harry needs to surrender himself to Voldemort or else they're going to kill everyone in the castle. Which is really tough for Harry because he just has to sacrifice himself in order to save everyone else. Yeah, but at this point, Harry's been been able to access Voldemort's mind without him knowing. Yeah. And um, this is where he learns that Snape's with him and Nagini's there. And so they kind of just... He, he's going to go after Voldemort on his own. Mm. And so he eventually does... 
And this is where Voldemort kills Snape because Voldemort thinks that Snape has the true power of the Elder Wand. Yeah. Because he thinks that by killing Dumbledore, he gained access to the power. Mm. When really, Draco's the one who's the master of the Elder Wand. Yeah, because what happened was Draco disarms Dumbledore. In Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. So Draco is the true... Um, the Elder Wand truly belongs to Draco now. Yeah. But since Snape killed Dumbledore, Voldemort doesn't know that um, Dra- Draco disarmed Dumbledore. So he thinks that the wand belongs to Snape. Which, So in order to gain true access to the Elder Wand, Voldemort has to kill Snape. Yeah. And so then Harry uh, approaches Snape after, after Nagini attacks him. Mm-hmm. And then Voldemort leaves. And then um, he, he gives him the memories. And then you really learn that this whole time... By going through Snape's memories, that he was a good person mm-hmm. and he was a double agent for Dumbledore, yeah. not for Voldemort, and, and he was a fake agent for Voldemort. And he put his life on the line every day for how for twenty years almost because of his love for Lily, um, Harry's mother. Mm-hmm. And he really, in turn, that eventually means that he loved Harry too. Yeah, and he he protected him the whole time. And the only reason why, and you learn. I don't think they touch on it in the in the movie, but you read the reason why Snape dislikes Harry so much is because he looks so much like James. Yeah, just his like father. James. Yeah, so he reminds him of James because James was, was a bully to him in school. Yeah, and there's because there's a scene in the memories of him and Dumbledore because Dumbledore obviously you learn that Dumbledore knew the whole time about everything and he knew about Draco coming to kill him. Mm. And then Snape says something like, when Dumbledore tells him that Harry's the final Horcrux, yeah. Snape's like, so what, you've been raising him for slaughter like a pig? Yeah. Then Dumbledore's, oh, so don't tell me you've come to care for the boy. And he dubs the Patronus into Dove, which is the same as Lily's. Yeah. So, and that's where the infamous line of always comes from. After you know, all this time? Getting goosebumps. Always. <laughs> and it's just, it's, it's, I think it's probably one of the most emotional parts of the entire franchise is seeing the journey of Snape that's been um, kept behind closed doors the entire time, and you really sh- see how much he's given into the cause that Dumbledore has put him towards into protecting Harry at all costs. Yeah. And to doing whatever he can to protect this boy. And this makes you become a massive fan of Snape. Yeah. And you finally learn his true yeah. meaning in life and what mm-hmm. he's really about. Yeah. And then, obviously, you know, Harry eventually accepts his fate and walks out to the Forbidden Forest to be killed by Voldemort. Mm. And he doesn't think he's going to survive, obviously. You know, he's, he's, this, this he's going sac- to sacrifice himself. This scene right here is, I think, Daniel Radcliffe's shining moment as an actor because he's always been a very good actor as Harry. But when he walks into the woods and, and he goes into that clearing where the Death Eaters are with, with um, Voldemort, he has this look on his face like he really knows that he's about to die. And Radcliffe plays it so well, I believed it completely. He did an excellent job with this scene. Yeah, it's very emotional because he's talking to the ghosts of his of his family and his loved ones, and they say that they'll be with him the whole time. Mm. And then he accepts his fate, and he lets Voldemort kill him. Yeah. And then there's that sequence with with um with, with Harry and Dumbledore and King's Cross, but yeah. it's, everything's white. It's like this uh, limbo esque um, heaven heaven esque we, we don't know environment. What it is. Yeah, and then um, Dumbledore. Gives us some like n- needed information, um, and also we see underneath that bench there's a little tiny like disgusting humanoid body all curled up, and it seems to be suffering. And you're like, "What is?" It? And Harry's like, "What is that thing?" And Dumbledore is like, uh, "I can't remember." What it's beyond says. saving. Yeah, it's beyond saving. But really, that's that's Voldemort. Yeah, that's what happens to Dumbledore to Voldemort's soul after he dies. Is he's just gonna suffer. 
for what he's done to um, his his soul by ripping it apart. Yeah, so that's what he's become. That's what he will be. Yeah. Yeah, and then Harry coming back to life, and when Harry comes back to life, we the Death Eaters don't know it, and then Voldemort, we we don't we we learn from his crew's reaction. They're there he's on the ground, and they pick him up, and we learn like that obviously was Dumbledore, that obviously was uh, Voldemort in limbo as well, and then he's so terrified of Harry at this point where he doesn't even want to check if he's alive himself, and he has Narcissa check if Harry's alive, and Narcissa. Obviously, we learn that Harry's still alive and uh, whispers that Draco's still in the castle. So she um, betrays the Death Eaters and Voldemort in order to save her son, which leads to um, Voldemort confronting everyone at the castle with Harry's supposed dead body. Well, I love this scene when he walks up yeah. with his Death Eaters and like all the uh, people who are fighting in the castle like yeah. meet them all. Yeah. And it's just like this... Voldemort's telling all these people that they have to join him or they're going to die. Yeah, he's like finally taking over yeah. the wizarding world. He thinks he's won. Yeah. And then Neville stands up to him. But before, before that, Dra- <laughs> Draco, um, his parents, Lucius. Because he asks anyone who is willing to come over here by choice, do it now. Yeah. And then Draco's parents like, oh, come here, Draco, get Draco. over here. So he walks over and like Voldemort gives him that like super <laughs> awkward so hug. So awkward. He's just got like this funny face like, oh. He Which was improvised. Yeah, he doesn't know how to interact with people. Yeah, but he did that. He did that as as an improvisation. Uh, so and it's so funny and cringy, but yeah. it's, I I think it works really well. It's so good. It was awesome. Wands, he's just like, yes, I'm a good leader. <laughs> and then um and then obviously shit hits the fan. Yeah, and everything erupts because Harry comes back and and stops playing dead. And he runs away. And, and then um Neville pulls the sword out of the hat, the source, yeah. the the sorting hat. And he slices Nagini's head off. Oh man! And then Voldemort s- sees Harry and starts chasing him through the castle. And they it's terrifying. This, they have this like moving battle throughout the castle, which is very while cool. the rest of the battle is going going uh, taking place, and it's just this epic fucking fifteen minutes of action. It's un- it's incredible. Yeah. And then you have like Molly Weasley kills Bellatrix yeah. Strange after she- she's dueling Ginny and someone else. And after she calls her a bitch, she's like not my daughter, you bitch. <laughs> Blows her up into a million pieces. Uh, it's just it's a great duel. Yeah, and you know this is. An, an emotional battle because so many people have died and you know real characters have died I mean Lupin yeah. and Tonks died mm. one of the Weasley twins has died yeah. so a lot of characters have have, have, have there passed are real on stakes. it's yeah. not like a Marvel movie and then um <laughs> <laughs> and then it's the final battle man oh my and this God. is where you're learning Harry knows everything and he's telling he calls Riddle by his name Riddle yeah. instead of Voldemort and Harry knows he calls he him has, Tom he calls his Tom he calls him Riddle and Voldemort still doesn't understand what's going on. And then he's like, oh, is it love? Is it Dumbledore's love? Is that what's going to save you this time? Mm. But now Harry reveals to him that he's the one who's the true possessor of the Elder One. Mm. And he has the real power. And, you know, they do their freaking spells. Expelliarmus. When they, when they do that last... Because what happens is, like, right before that, Neville kills Nagini. And so we know that Voldemort is completely weakened. And he's vulnerable. And he's, and he's mortal now. And then when they when they do their spells and their and their their laser beams connect and the splat score is just going crazy with the strings, and then you can see that the Harry's red is overtaking the green and it gets closer and closer to Voldemort's wand and then his hands like shaking and it's the, the wand starts cracking. And he's got this face like he knows he's gonna lose, and then when it finally overtakes his wand, and then um his face just starts like breaking apart and he starts turning into dust it's like it's amazing it's such a great climax then harry catches it harry catches it yeah he catches the wand and then uh 
And you know for sure Voldemort's absolutely dead this time because he just disintegrates. Yeah. Avenger style. Yeah. <laughs> and the war is over, man. Harry won. Good it was beat evil. So satisfying. Yeah. I wish that he he fixed his wand though with the elder wand in the like he did in the in the books. In the book, though. Yeah. yeah. But it's still great. His decision to to break the elder wand forever so yeah. that no one could ever use it. Yeah. Is very admirable. It's that's who Harry is. And he's just, you know, one of the he's one of my favorite fictional characters of all time. And this is one of the greatest stories ever written, ever told. And it's going to live on forever, man. Yeah, it'll always be loved, especially by people like us. But then it's a, it's a movie that every new generation can, can watch, a series that they can watch. And um, I, think, I think it's one of the greatest stories ever told, too. Yeah. And I just hope that one day when Radcliffe's a little older, they do like, Harry Potter as like an R, dude. That would be so sick. Like a badass older. Fuck, fuck, Fantastic Beasts. Just give me Harry Potter fucking up bad wizards. I'll give Fantastic Beasts a new chance because Steve Cloves is gonna write it, and he wrote pretty much all the, yeah. the scripts yeah, yeah. from the books. But I'm not a huge fan of the Fantastic Beasts movie. Yeah, the they're not the same. Good. They're not the same. They, they didn't capture the ma- that same magic. They don't have the magic. All right, I, I'm pretty exhausted. This is a long episode. Yeah. So that's it for Harry Potter. Uh, Raiders of Lost podcast episode. Thanks for listening and thanks for watching, everyone. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube if you're new. Follow us on TikTok, Instagram, at Raiders of Lost podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts.